2: to make
3: sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place.
4: Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis CS
5: and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889
0: shortages, supply chain continue to have a domino effect on everything, especially food production. Farmers can't plant as many crops now because of fertilizer shortages, forced regulations, and of course, high fuel prices. This will cause more painful food shortages when we run out of the food we're eating now. You know, food takes time so when farmers don't plant, well, months later, we don't eat. That's why you need to prepare for an increasing number of food shortages. And the best way is to invest in ready hour emergency food from My Patriot Supply. It's a perfect hedge against skyrocketing prices and shortages. Right now, save $50 on a four-week food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithsoutherncents.com and get your $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's preparewithsoutherncents.com. Those who know what's coming are getting prepared now. Well, if you don't want to type weak thing saying prepare with southernsense.com and you're on my website which is southern sense put a dash in the middle southern hyphen sense as in commonsense.com. You can easily click on my Patriot Supply and go directly to the website and get your fifty dollars savings. As I'm telling you now, those who know what's coming are getting prepared right now. Shouldn't you prepare with southernhyphensense.com? That's southern com, Click on My Patriot Supply. Do it now. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Blog Talk Radio with Southern Sense. And I just lost the chat room. Oh, there it is. There it is. We got it. All right. Another Friday starting off right on the right foot. You're, you're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iHeart, YouTube Stitcher. Yes, we're back on YouTube. Spreaker. Uh, Facebook, oh half a dozen other places. Also on our webpage, you can see my smiling face as we broadcast. Oh, just go to Southern Sense, put it dash in the middle, Southern sensecom Sense dot com. Wanna welcome those that are here in the chat room here on blog Radio as well as those that are now joining us over at YouTube and Facebook. And if you do go to the YouTube channel, please subscribe. Um let's get the subscription numbers up since <laughs> they're right now at zero. So, hey, guys, give me a boost here. Anyway, I'm your hostess with the Least Most just the Radio Chicken D, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis Courageous C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. How are you?
6: I'm doing great. And as we were talking before the show, I'm ready to go work the polls Monday so we can get this show on the road. I, I am just reading an a article where the Dems have won some, um, had some victories in one of their. Primaries and all of a sudden we don't have a chance. Republicans, uh, you know, not expected to re, re you know, claim the um, House. Not like, are you kidding me? So anyway, <laughs> I'm going fine. Other, other than that.
0: that, that's called wishful thinking on their behalf. You know that it's called wishful thinking.
6: <laughs> Considering yeah, I mean, they say our, is, our chances are dim now because they won that, in, in a liberal state. You know, so I mean, that's to be expected. Yeah. That yeah. They're going to yeah. have some victories <laughs> yeah.
0: in their primaries, but not come the general election. Uh, 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 no, 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 no. How can they even declare, you know, victory in a primary that hasn't even occurred yet? That's a good question. I'm telling
6: you, <laughs> they're grabbing for straw
0: Oh, just because they say it doesn't make it true, Curtis. So don't get disheartened. Listen, we got yeah, ourselves a I'm jam fine. jam up I'm show. Fine. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, look, look at they're the gonna push the yeah. narrative. <laughs> mm. Anyway, we got ourselves a jam up show. We have your fr- friend, former Ambassador Ben Escudero, um, who served in multiple capacities uh under uh Bush One and um and uh the the the,
6: the, the uh, Clinton.
0: Yeah, I think which yeah. Bubba I'm talking Middle about.
6: East. <laughs> yes, in the Middle East.
0: Uh, we have Harlan Ullman who's returning. He's got his book out, The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Looming Existential Danger to a Divided Nation and the World at Large. That's a mouthful. But the book, it really, really outlines what is going on and how to move forward. I'm going to talk to him about that and several other things uh, Stefano Gennarini, he is the vice president for legal studies at the Center for Family and Human Rights, and he recently uh, testified before the UN dealing with human rights and family rights. We got our friend Mark Tapscott, he's a DC correspondent for the Epic Times, or Epoch Times, as he corrects me all the time. <laughs> he's uh, returning for his bi-monthly visit. And then EJ Antoni is returning from the Heritage Foundation. He's the research fellow uh, for regional economics at the Center for Data Analysis. So we got a lot to talk about, a lot that is going on. And guess what? The newest pandemic. Oh, there's another version of COVID out there. Ooh, we're all shaking in our boots. But that's monkey not working. Pox. The narrative's not working. It's monkeypox. And it, how dare you say monkeypox? Oh, my goodness. Mm. Oh, Doug! I, I'm look, reading what Doug is putting in the uh, chat room. He goes, he didn't realize it was Friday until I saw Anne, my little green light available. So thanks, Doug, on Skype. It says liveSouthernSense. gives me a clue. That is Friday. He must be.
6: <laughs> he must be retired because for retirees, every day is almost the same. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, I'm retired, but every day definitely is not the same. Geez. <laughs> uh, anyway, we do have a lot to talk about, and a lot going on. Um, we have that uh, Inflation Reduction Act that is going before the Senate, or if we should say <laughs> the Inflation Not Reduction Act uh, going before the Senate.
6: Yeah. Um, They're going to get it they just, because they got the votes. Yeah.
0: Well they've they also come passed out this out gun control well, they also passed this new gun control bill uh and that's gonna be a huge, huge legal challenge because a basic semi automatic firearm block seventeen or 19, two of the most popular weapons used in law enforcement would be banned under this bill
2: um, semi automatic
0: a semi-automatic, uh, say, 22-long rifle would be banned underneath this new legislation. And it's it's going to have a huge challenge, and I pray that the Supreme Court gets it right once again. Yeah. Well, Doug's saying he's retired and busier than when he was working. And that's what most of us, that when we retire, find wow. out Whoa. that ends up being the truth. That it ends is. up being the truth. Well... Those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And I know in the past I've talked about, I know specifically this gentleman uh, on a news article that I pulled up a couple of years ago. uh, He passed away. So today's show is going to be uh, dedicated to Navajo Code Samuel Sandoval. He passed away on July 29th of this year at the age... Of 89 and this was in Associated Press written by Felisa and she writes out of Flagstaff Arizona Samuel Sandoval one of the last remaining Navajo code talkers who transmitted messages in World War II using a code based upon their native language has died Sandoval died late Friday July 29th at a hospital in Shiprock New Mexico his wife Molula said he was 98 years old. I've got to correct that because I've closed the numbers on the, uh, on the description, so please forgive me. I will correct that. Hundreds of Navajos were recruited from the vast Navajo Nation to serve as code talkers with the U.S. Marine Corps. Only three are still alive today. Peter McDonald, John Kinsel Sr., and Thomas H the gay. Code talkers took part in every assault the Marines conducted in the Pacific, sending thousands of messages without error on Japanese troop movements, battlefield tactics, and other communications critical to the war's ultimate outcome. The code, based on the then-unwritten Navajo language, confounded Japanese military cryptologists and is credited with helping the U.S win the war. Sandoval was on Okinawa in Japan when he got word from another Navajo co-talker that the Japanese had surrendered and relayed the messages to higher-ups. The Navajo men are celebrated annually on August 14th. Sandoval was looking forward to that date and seeing a museum built near the Navajo na- nation capital of Window Rock, To honor the code talkers, his wife said, Sam always said, I wanted my Navajo youngsters to learn. They need to know what we did and how this code was used and how it contributed to the world. She said that Saturday that the Navajo language was a powerful and always to continue carrying our legacy. Sandoval was born in Nagazi, Nichaco Culture Natural Historical Park, in northwestern New Mexico. He enlisted in the Marine Corps after attending a Methodist school where he was discouraged from speaking Navajo. He helped recruit other Navajos from the school to serve as code talkers, expanding on words and an alphabet that an original group of 29 Navajos created. Sandoval served in five combat tours and was honorably discharged in 1946. The to- code talkers had orders not to discuss their roles, not during the war and not until after their mission was declassified in 1968. The roles later became an immense source of pride for Sandoval and his late brother, Mero Sandoval, who was also a code talker. The two became talented speakers who always hailed their fellow Marines still in action as the heroes. Not themselves, said Mero Sandoval's daughter, Jenny Sandoval. We were kids, all growing up, and we started to hear the story, she said. We were so proud of them, and there weren't very many brothers together. Sandoval often told his story, chronicled in a book and documentary, of the same name, Nesba E. Bea, Heart of a Warrior at the Cortes." Cultural Center in Cortez, Colorado. Sandoval's health had been declining in recent years, including a fall in which he fractured a hip. Malula Sandoval said his last trip was to New Orleans in June, where he received the American Spirit Award from the National World War II Museum. McDonald, Kenzel, and Begay were also honored. Navajo President Jonathan Nez said Sandoval will be remembered as a loving and courageous person who defended his homeland using his sacred language. We're saddened by his passing, but his legacy will always live in our hearts and minds, Nez said in his statement. Navajo Nation Council Speaker Seth Daman said Sandoval's life was guided by character, courage, honor, and integrity, and his impact will forever be remembered. And from the press pool at IndianCountryToday.com, this is a press release, and it reads, Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez, Speaker Seth Damon, and Vice President Myron Lizer, offer their heartfelt condolences to the family and loved ones, Navajo Code Talker Samuel Sandoval, who passed away Friday, July 29th in the evening. As one of the 418 code talkers who served during World War II, Sandoval used the 813 word Navajo code to send and receive military communications in the South Pacific theater. Born in 1922 in New Mexico, Sandoval was the Zuni clan and born for the red-cheeked people His maternal grandfather was Sleep Rock people, and his paternal grandfather were Badlands people. Navajo code talker Samuel Sandoval will always be remembered as a loving and courageous person who sacrificed more than we will ever know to defend our homelands using our sacred Navajo language. We are saddened by his passing, but his legacy will always live in our hearts and minds. On behalf of the Navajo Nation, we offer our prayers, And heartfelt condolences to his wife, Malula, his children, and many loved ones, said President Jonathan Nez. After graduating, Sandoval enlisted in the Marine Corps on March 26, 1943. He completed basic training at the Marine Corps Depot in San Diego, California, where the 29 original Code Talkers had arrived in September 1942. He served in five combat tours, including Guadalcanal, Bougainville, Guam, Palalu, and Okinawa, and was discharged on January 26, 1966. The Navajo people mourn the loss of a grandfather, father, brother, and uncle who dedicated his life to uplift communities. Navajo co-talker Sam Sandoval lived a life where character, courage, honor, and integrity guided his journey. His impact on history will forever be remembered and we sincerely share our love with his family during this time. May he rest among our most resilient warriors, said Speaker Seth Damon of Red Rock Red Springs. Following his service with the Marine Corps, Sandoval returned home and enrolled in college to earn a certificate In substance abuse counseling, he worked in Farmington, uh, New, New Mexico, as a counselor for many years. In the 1970s, he opened his own clinic named TOTA Alcohol Counseling to assist Navajo individuals experiencing substance abuse. The facility served the region for more than a decade, assisting many families. Navajo code talker Samuel Sandoval was a great warrior and a compassionate family man. In every aspect of his life, he was a loving person who cared greatly for his people. Today, I ask our DNA people to keep his spirit and his family in your prayers and we give thanks for his life and his legacy, said Vice President Lazar. Sandoval earned a Navy Unit Commendation Ribbon, a Combat Action Ribbon, a China Service Medal, a World War II victory medal, a Navy Occupation Service medal with a clasp, and an Asiatic Pacific campaign medal with a silver medal in lieu of five bronze stars. Earlier this year, Sandoval received the 2022 American Spirit Award for bravery by the National World War II Museum. Today's show is dedicated to Code Talker, Samuel Sandoval. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that served in our military, from the birth of this nation through today and into our hopeful future. We also dedicate the show to the brave men and women that serve as our first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. May God bless each and every one. We dedicate to them this by Todd Allen Harrington. My name is America.
4: Born in the grip of oppression, I fought for my liberty. I paid with the blood of my people. Freedom has never been free. Now my door's open. to me. They believe in the virtues I stand for. I respect for humanity.
2: Now I'm...
0: Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, um, where the heck am I now? <laughs> I forget. iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, uh, SHR Media, iHeartRadio. Radio, I just got a heck of it. Just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, Southern Sense, southern-sense.com. Sense Southern Boy, am I messing this up? Southern Sense.com. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I I give up I give up I, it, It's Friday the thirteenth has to be coming around the corner right now <laughs> I can mess up a w- today Oh man I'm your hostess obviously with the least most the radio chickadee Annie and along with my Curtis courageous Curtis courageous
6: yes, <laughs> it, I give up I'm your Curtis <laughs> <Yes. give> <laughs>
0: Take over, Curtis. I'm going home. I'm probably I'm, I'm I'm out of here.
6: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we don't give up.
0: Oh, jeez. Well, we we have to talk about. We're going to talk about later on, probably with the about nasty Pelosi going over to Taiwan. I mean, did she accomplish anything? Honestly, did she really? It was it was a photo op. Um, yes, we need to show that we're not afraid of China, you know, make them stand down, which they basically did. They're now carrying on live fire exercises in the uh, passage between Taiwan and China, disrupting uh, commerce. I mean, that's a huge economic hit. Uh, so, you know, just and a lot of cons to it. I think it could have been handled a lot better. And... Oh, yeah. It could have been handled a lot better, and well, the Biden administration just completely wimped out on it.
6: So, what it and, to and me, they did. she she had more courage than Biden. Though that's that's the only thing I see. <laughs> Biden he didn't want to face up to on China, you know. I think he wanted to capitulate, but she didn't, and she continued her trip. And that's the only thing I saw out of it, you know.
0: Yeah. You know, it showed that there is some backbone here in the United States. It's just not sitting in the Oval Office. And that's the big thing. Right. Theory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what is this now? Biden has now tested for the third time for COVID, even though he's wearing a mask. Well, at least when he's in public, he's wearing the mask that he, when he's in front of the camera, half the time not.
6: And he's got oh, he's the dab
0: about automated. two or three he's times. Got, he's got the boosters. He's got the vaccine. He's got the boosters. And he's telling everyone to go get the vaccine so you don't get COVID. And yet he's mad at COVID. This is now the fourth time?
6: Yeah, in a hmm. two-week period. Do
0: we see a problem with this picture?
6: <clears throat> yeah, it doesn't work.
0: <laughs> it doesn't seem to work very well. No, it doesn't. No. I mean, I've got a dear friend of mine who's had the jab, he got COVID, and he's afraid of getting it back again. Uh, So, you know, if it doesn't work, why do it? Just boost your immune system with natural vitamins and eating healthy and just being smart. Keep your hands washed, you know. Um, This may be uh, our guest here in the chat room. Is it Curtis? Yes, it is. So let's bring on back to the show uh, former Ambassador Stan Escadero. Good afternoon, Stan. How are you today? Oh, better than I deserve. How are you? <laughs> oh, geez. Now, what did what did you get yourself into that you don't deserve to have a good day? <laughs> what trouble have you caused? <laughs> uh, no, actually,
4: I'm having a very good day.
0: Uh, well, that's good,
6: well, Ambassador. Now, so yes, D- how are you considering- doing? All right. <sighs>
0: Considering all the craziness that is going on out there, you are the perfect person to talk to because we've got um, Iran claiming they've got nuclear capabilities. They're threatening to nuke New York City out of existence, making it a smoldering ruin. And wait a minute. uh, Isn't President Ibrahim uh, – how do you pronounce his name? Racine supposed to visit the U.N. next month? Do you see a problem with this?
6: Well,
4: the United Nations is an organization that
0: uh, <clears throat> uh,
4: that provides a forum for uh, nations, uh, representatives of, of, uh, of all nations to come and talk. And uh, Iran is a member of the United Nations. I don't see a problem with them having someone come to the U.N., but I do see a problem with our policy toward Iran, uh, specifically with respect to uh, efforts to negotiate uh, with the Iranians to prevent them from developing uh, a nuclear weapons capacity. If you take a look at the Iranian position beginning very soon after the revolution, uh, which culminated in early 1979, uh, they made no bones about what they wanted. They, they wanted eventually nuclear weapons, and they wanted them because Nuclear weapons are a shield and a guarantee against threats or any kind of military interference uh, by anyone else, even including great powers or superpowers. Once you have a demonstrated nuclear weapon, you are, in effect, protected. That's why India developed a nuclear weapon and set off an explosion at a place called Poharan in 1974. They claimed that it was uh, something that was intended to uh, to do construction, uh, which nobody believed. But even if it was, the the point is that uh, once they set off a nuclear bomb, uh, nobody was ever going to mess with India. And since then, of course, they've developed the capacity to to make hydrogen bombs and they have developed uh, 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 intercontinental ballistic missiles, and, and they are a, a full-fledged nuclear power. As soon as ever they could, after India developed their weapon, Pakistan developed one too. Um, What will happen in the case of Iran uh, is that uh, they will, if if nothing is done, they will soon have one. Uh, And the difficulty with attempting to negotiate this issue with them over the years um, is that negotiations really diplomacy really in a case like this is based on your ability to do one of two things Uh, you either offer a credible threat in this case to get Iran not to make nuclear weapons or you offer them something they would rather have now in the case of the Iranians and I spent a number of years in Iran I understand how they bargain Uh, they are quite prepared to take whatever you will offer um, as preliminary chips toward potentially a a negotiated solution to get them to, to uh, do whatever it is you want. But in the end, they may or may not do it. In the case of nuclear weapons, there is nothing you can offer the Iranians by way of diplomacy that they would rather have because nuclear weapons are what they want. Now... Uh, the Obama administration made no effort to uh, to to, uh, to offer any sort of credible threat. They simply said, "What do you want? What can we give you?" And in the end, the, what they negotiated uh, was under the so-called JCPOA. It was uh, it was an agreement which provided, in effect, a timeline. At the end of which, 2025 was the end of it. Uh, Iran could go ahead and develop a nuclear bomb if it wanted to, with the blessing of the international community. They simply had to agree not to do so for 10 years. Um, Well, when Mr. Trump came on board, he took a look at this and he said, uh, (laughs) uh, it makes absolutely no sense to do everything we did for Iran. Them billions of dollars and that sort of thing, only to have them put off for a few years the development of that which we do not want them to have in the first place at all. And so, he began taking measures which uh, uh, which seriously constrained their economy and constrained them in other ways. And uh, it it caused them uh, it caused them very very serious problems. Uh, when Mr. Trump was uh, was not reelected, uh, the current administration resumed to the degree that it could uh, the Obama administration's positions with regard to Iran, and they they went and begged Iran to come back into the JCPOA, and the Iranians said, "What will you give us to do that?" And uh, the Biden uh, regime lifted the uh, the sanctions of the great bulk of them and uh, promised a number of other things. And the Iranians said, well, we'll think about it. What else have you got? And in the meantime, they continued to work as hard as ever they could on the development of a nuclear weapon. The issue there was not how to do it because a great number of scientists all over the world know how to make a nuclear bomb. The, the question mm-hmm. was, was how to get enough fissile material, uh, which they get through by, by taking uranium and putting it in the centrifuges. And the faster the centrifuges spin, for reasons I don't understand, I'm not a physicist, uh, the more fissile the material becomes. Uh, and the farther along the path you get toward roughly 90% uh, pure, the uh, the faster you can... Uh, you, the faster you increase the, the, the fissile nature so that it takes quite some time to go from, say, 5% to 20%. But from 20% mm-hmm. to 90%, it doesn't take that long. And I don't know why that's true, but it is. Uh, and so what the Iranians did was they put in newer, better, faster types of centrifuges, and they went ahead and got to the point where they almost had, uh, and may in fact have, because so much of their uh, nuclear um, facility or facilities in the various places they have it is uh, shrouded underground and, and hidden from, from the view of UN inspectors or anybody else. Well, this is, this uh, is where I where where wanted to ask you. They have it or they almost have it at the, at the, well, and where, at the same well, time.
0: Yes, go ahead. Well, this, this is where I wanted to ask you because I pulled up an article. Uh, That was on the uh, MSN World News. And it was stating that the National Council of Resistance of Iran is asking that President Razi is denied a visa to come to the United States based upon a video on the Iranian state media that said Tehran could use its nuclear-capable intercontinental ballistic missiles to turn New York into ruins and hell in the case of a hostile act by the U.S., uh now there's also an Iranian journalist that reported that the underground facility in Fordo does house a determined program and I'm probably gonna pronounce this incorrectly. M S E M A D project.
4: Uh, sorry, what was your question?
0: Well the question is is that should the President Razi be denied the visa based upon what his government is doing and the fact that there is an actual underground facility that we know about that it has this nuclear program that could possibly send an ICBM to the United States?
4: Okay. Uh, to my knowledge, the Iranians do not have a, an intercontinental ballistic missile with a range capable of reaching the United States at this point. They're trying to develop one. They do have one that would reach Europe. And certainly, they have uh, several that would reach Israel, uh, but they they do not have one, to my knowledge, that would go as far as the United States. Secondly, it's one thing to develop a nuclear bomb; it's another to develop one which will fit, which is small enough to fit on the, the as a warhead on top of a missile. Um, I have not seen anything to indicate that the Iranians have that capacity either. Um, mm. I suspect that what will happen is that uh, when, they think, when they think the timing is right, um, they will detonate a nuclear bomb somewhere out in the Dashtakavir in the, the, the great central desert near Iran, and they will claim at the same time that they have a great number of them, not just one, and that they have some which will fit on the, as warheads on their missiles. Now, the latter two statements may or may not be true, but at that point it won't matter because that will be their shield. Um and then they would ahead and develop whatever it is they need still to develop um, frankly, my feeling is that the question of whether or not uh, the Iranian is granted permission to come to speak to the United nations is not so very relevant um, my feeling my my feeling is that the, the question is should the Iranians be permitted to develop a nuclear weapons capacity or not? And I think this this question needs to be addressed uh, from the point of view not only of the United States, which is is ultimately threatened by their capacity, whether they have the capacity to strike us now or not, but um, it's also uh, a question that needs to be addressed by Israel. But let's take the United States first. Um, Let's suppose that Iran goes ahead and develops a nuclear weapon and claims that it has the missiles and so forth, whether it does or not. Um, The moment they develop a nuclear weapon, it will set off a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. Virtually every other country in the region that has anything like the ability or the money uh, will begin um, either producing its own nuclear weapons or more likely in the immediate future purchasing nuclear weapons from Pakistan or North Korea. Uh, it is said that the Pakistanis already have an arrangement with the Saudis to provide a bomb in the event that Iran develops a bomb. I don't know if that's true or not, but the Saudi foreign minister mentioned something about it at one point in an unguarded moment several years ago. Uh, But in addition you would have Turkey, you would have Egypt uh, probably Jordan UAE because all of these nations, first of all they are Sunni and Iranians are Shia and the two These two major elements of the Islamic faith have been at daggers drawn for 1,500 years. But in addition, when Iran is strong, historically it has been aggressive and expansionist. And all those nations in that area would feel themselves threatened by a nuclear-armed Iran, so they would go and get them too. The Middle East is perhaps the most volatile area in the world, certainly one of. And the idea that a great number... (coughs) of the nations of the Middle East would suddenly acquire nuclear weapons um, is is frightening. Uh, because obviously yeah. the, larger number, the larger the number of nations with nuclear weapons capacity, the greater is the likelihood that they will be used. So there is that. Now then there is Israel. Um, the Iranians have made no secret of their intent, if they can, to destroy Israel altogether. The Israelis regard it as, a, uh, as an existential threat, the possibility that Iran might develop a nuclear weapon. Now, I think it's unlikely that Iran would launch missiles and aircraft against Israel directly because they would want to avoid Israeli retaliation. The Israelis are well known to have nuclear weapons capacity. But I do think the Iranians would do everything they can to make small-scale nuclear weapons available to terrorists, so that they could arrange indirectly to have Israel attacked with nuclear weapons in various ways and say that it wasn't them. They had nothing to do with it. Uh, the Israelis wouldn't believe this, but uh, whether or not it would result in Israeli nuclear retaliation against Iran is oh, it was simply not known. Uh, but I, I tell you honestly, uh, I do not feel, I personally do not feel that Iran can be permitted to have a nuclear weapons capacity therefore uh, a way has to be found to prevent them from doing it and given that they are almost at the point where they can um, we have to give very serious thought if we're the United States or Israel to the destruction of their nuclear capacity the Israelis would do this in a heartbeat if we would support them I cannot imagine that the Biden regime would consider anything of the sort. Um
2: I mean, do you it, think <laughs> it to
4: that they've done so far with Iran, but failing that, our planners have to begin considering now what what we would do and how we would react and what steps we would take in the event that Iran did develop such a capacity and this produced, as I I said, it surely would, a, a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. So, you know what
0: really scares me about what really scares me about Iran doing this uh, nuclear capacity. If you remember correctly, a number of years ago, under the Biden, uh, not the Biden, the Obama administration, Iran attempted to sail, sail, yeah, actually sail a nuclear submarine to our eastern seaboard. They didn't succeed; it didn't quite work out. But I, testing. No pun intended. The waters to see how they can be able to deliver such a system. That's what scares me.
4: Well, I'm not aware that the Iranians have a nuclear-powered submarine, but they do have submarines, and um, there is a (laughs) the detonation of a nuclear weapon in the waters off the United States is 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 a, a very serious threat. And in fact, the Russians have recently developed a kind of uh, of of self guided torpedo which can travel uh, at very considerable speeds and which which can do so for long periods of time without uh, without necessarily being controlled. Uh, the object, as they say, is that such a thing could come within uh, because it's not so very large, it could come without being detected quite close to American seaports or coastlines and then detonate a hydrogen bomb, which would create an enormous tsunami of radioactive water. And uh, a few of those along our coastline would be absolutely devastating. Uh, I imagine go ahead, Curtis. Have, but they don't have the capacity
6: to do it now. Um, going back to Israel, I believe whether the United States act or don't act in the case that um, Iran um Goes ahead and um, sell nukes to terrorists, and they attack at Israel. I don't think you know all the denying in the world from Iran is going to stop uh, Israel from attacking them too, as well as the, you know going after the terrorists. And I say this because they had no problem attack attacking a U.S. Um, warship, the USS Liberty, back in '67. So, you know, they they would go against. The United States and outline i have no <laughs> I have no um no doubt that they would really go after Iran oh, who
4: because they would regard it as a matter of survival, but they would much prefer to be able to do it with American support. The question is um, as we seem to be getting much much closer to uh, the date when when uh, when Iran will demonstrate that it does have a nuclear weapon, uh, how long will the Israelis wait? because if they once wait until Iran has a weapon then they 're faced with the same issue that everyone else is. How do you attack a nuclear weapons power, particularly if you 're a territorial small country like israel without uh, w- without being destroyed they They attack the liberty. Um, with some confidence that Lyndon Johnson wouldn't do anything about it. And, of course, he didn't. Uh, he covered it up. Uh, but it's hardly the same thing with respect to Iran.
0: Now, um, just a little bit of turn of the page, because the whole Middle East area is so volatile, but we just ended up killing the al-Qaeda leader Ayman al Zawahiri in Kabul. Um, But what's coming out is that we're finding that al-Qaeda and the Taliban have now linked up because of the home that he was found in, that he was staying in, in Kabul. Um, This is really scary that we walked out of Afghanistan, leaving all this equipment in the hands of our enemies, and now we have a power vacuum, or what is happened here now in Afghanistan with al-Qaeda and the Taliban? What do you foresee? <laughs>
6: uh,
4: well, this was entirely predictable. Uh, the way in which Joe Biden left Afghanistan, uh, virtually guaranteed, given the level of weakness that he showed and the amount of weaponry that he left behind, uh, virtually guaranteed that the Taliban and uh, 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 ISIS Khorasan and Al-Qaeda and other lesser terrorist organizations would all come together uh, in Afghanistan and would plot and plan there in in whatever way they wanted. In the case of uh, Ayman al-Zawahiri, he was staying in a guest house that belonged to the Ha'ani family. Uh, uh, The senior Ha'ani is the number two or number three man in the Taliban hierarchy for the whole country. And while the house belonged to, I believe, his brother, um, that's immaterial. The thought that Bahani didn't know, and therefore that the Taliban didn't know, is absurd. Of course they knew. Um, it's It speaks to our capacity, uh to discover things and act on the basis of them, even in faraway places like Afghanistan without any nearby bases, that we were able to take out uh, uh, al-Zawahiri without doing much damage to anything else. But that's one man. And uh, al-Qaeda is more than one man. Um, It is a structure which... uh, uh, which has people at lower levels who will step up and replace. Keep in mind that I was, uh, he was 71 years old. He had long gotten past the point where he was going to be an active leader. He was never a charismatic fellow like bin Laden. He was a, uh, a backroom boy, a planner, a uh, crafty chap. Uh, when, when I was Ambassador in Azerbaijan, uh, we almost caught him. We, he was the head of an outfit called the uh, it's Egyptian Islamic Jihad. And we discovered that uh, they were using a spot in Azerbaijan as a safe house. and uh, uh, There was a plan for he and the four other senior leaders to come uh, and use that place. And uh, uh, we worked with the Azeris, uh, waiting until uh, they all showed up, and then we were going to grab them. Unfortunately, Al-Zawahiri and uh, uh, one other fellow decided at the last minute not to come. Uh, so we took the other three um well now and they told us a great deal of what <laughs> what we wanted to know before we gave them to the Egyptians but but um uh, he was he was somebody we have been after obviously for a long long time
0: uh well now you know as you said because of his age there had to be someone chosen as his successor so my question was there should not be a power vacuum i mean someone's already stepping in and acting as the head of it is not it only makes sense, right? There,
4: there is no vacuum within uh, within Al Qaeda that I'm aware of. They will have had someone who was to take his place in the event that he had a heart attack or was assassinated or whatever. Keep in mind, uh, a few years ago when President Trump was uh, was in office, uh, he had uh, Al Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, hunted down and killed, and. Uh, within uh, a matter of hours, ISIS announced that his successor was already in place. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, President Trump, President Trump, and so his, success, his successor was also dead within 24 hours. Uh, after which, ISIS did not announce another successor. Um, but I haven't heard um, that we have struck anyone else in uh, in the Al Qaeda structure in Afghanistan or anywhere else. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's no question, but where they will work with the Afghans, and we gave them a great deal of uh, technical capacity to do so. Not not just the weaponry, uh, but all kinds of other gear and communications systems and so forth, which were left behind at uh, at the various of the nine bases we had in Afghanistan. Um, some of which was taken over by the Chinese, and uh, some of which uh, the Taliban still have, or have distributed to others. In fact, it's 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 sort of amusing in a sad kind of way that we are talking now about uh, trading back to the Soviets for um, uh, Mrs. Miss Greiner, um, a uh, an arms merchant whose name is Victor Boot, and uh, Mr. Boot uh has been in prison for some years uh because he sold weapons uh of war to among others the taliban uh and mr biden gave the taliban 83 billion dollars worth of weapons so i kind of Mm -hmm. wonder if someday there couldn't be a cell next to that of mr boot for mr biden but there you are
0: well, you, you need an agent to sell for you. So, hey, here's one. Let's pluck them out of the American prison because they're too stupid to know what they have on their hands or because the president of the United States at this point is so brain dead that they're willing to turn around and a merchant of death, hey, we'll pay him a really great commission. Just help us move this merchandise so that we can spread more terror and then, you know, end the great state in the United States. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I yeah, wish, the craziness I, the coming problem, out is.
4: I wish the problem were just President Biden, uh, but it yes. really isn't. Mr. Biden is is uh, he's a figurehead. Uh, I mean, his mind is simply no longer up to the challenge. Um, but if you take a look at all of the catastrophes, the the, the cascade of catastrophes which has resulted. Um, from his policies, you have to conclude that this cannot be a coincidence no no government not even biden's government is so thoroughly incompetent that every single thing that it does harms the country it's meant to be governing uh,
0: what thank we're you. seeing thank you what
4: we're seeing uh, is uh, the uh, result, what we're seeing is the uh, result of a very broad based uh, plan. Uh, I don't want to mm-hmm. say conspiracy, but that's sort of what it is, uh, which has been the goal of the left for quite some time and is now being exercised in a serious and, from point of view of the United States, existential way uh, to weaken and transform the United States from the free uh, capitalist society which it has been. For over two hundred years, into what will become uh, a rather miserable uh, socialist totalitarian oligarchy.
0: And That's exactly is, where is, I was the, going. The country That's is a great exactly group. where I was heading. Yes, and we have we have united our enemies. Uh, we have allowed the socialist left to move us more and more into a socialist society, the woke society, uh, to shame us to take us down through the media through the social networks we've allowed them to brainwash our children to raise little liberals they've separated the families taking the kids away from the parents the parents are too stupid so we're going to tell you what's right and then tell your parents how stupid they are that's our new society in the interim we have allowed china to infiltrate our corporations our government offices our political offices to influence our policies we have allowed the muslim brotherhood to take over our universities as well as the chinese take over our universities and help us swing us more and more left they've gotten our technology they have gotten our our intellectual properties And we have sat back and this is what we got. We are now being transformed. The United States no longer being the republic, but it's a shadow government pushing us further and further left. Am I being correct or not?
4: Unfortunately, you are. Uh, And I mean, thank God for Donald Trump. Thank God for Ron DeSantis. I mean, here in Florida, we, we live in a bastion of freedom. And we might be able to sustain that, provided we can prevail in the elections this fall, and in 2024. Uh, if we cannot, uh, Florida cannot will not be able to sustain itself for long against the power of the federal government, which is overwhelming at this point. Um, and frankly, I'm I'm concerned that that we uh, Republicans, we on the right. Uh, have become overconfident. There there is a great deal of discussion about the coming red wave and so forth and so on. Uh, Elections always tighten up as you get closer. Uh, The Supreme Court decision uh, to uh, do away with uh, Roe v. Wade at the federal level and and return the question of abortions to the states uh, provides leverage for the left and an issue which will, uh, and which has, uh, arouse the 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 ire and the and the energies of uh, a great number of women who are pro-abortion uh, and other liberals, uh, and I fear that the kind of confidence that we have expressed in the inevitability of a right-wing victory uh, will become overconfidence in the fall. We we need, if we are to develop a base which will make it possible to preserve the United States in its traditional form we need the largest possible range of victories this fall and I'm not talking now just about retaking the House of Representatives that may, we may well do but we also need to take the Senate and there are more Republicans up than there are Democrats in the Senate side normally historically the side with the largest number of seats up loses seats and we need to gain seats Beyond that, we need to win governorships. We need to win control of state legislatures. We need to win control of school boards and county councils and city mayors. We need, from the top of the ballot all the way down to the bottom, the widest possible range of victories, and we need to sustain that in 2024, and ideally for four years after that. Because the challenge in front of us is not just regaining control of our political structure. It is seriously undertaking the restoration of, uh, of America in terms of our culture. Well, I speak now of academia, of course, but also entertainment, uh, communications and media, elements of business a great wide range of things which, as you say, have become to some degree dependent upon or influenced China or others, uh, but which simply no longer support the um, the fundamental bases of Americana and argue in favor of something new and different. But in this case, it's a, a, a modern version of socialism without being willing to recognize that socialism is contrary to nature it has never worked it never will work but it will be very destructive of non-social societies it will be very destructive of economies and very destructive of human life and that will happen here too if they take over
0: Well, it's been slow and it's been insidious, but if we can turn around and remove the Chinese influence, the Muslim Brotherhood influence, the socialistic influence, we can try to do that, but it's not going to work unless we take out the shadow government. That's the agencies that, at at a whim, can take what is a recommendation, turn it into a regulation with the power, full power of a law. These faceless bureaucrats that run these it soups, so you know you can change Republican or Democrat, but unless we weed them out, nothing's going to change.
4: Well, there is there is a, a serious conundrum here. Uh, obviously, we need the executive branch of government to uh, uh, to to implement the laws, to um, uh, support and sustain whoever is president, to conduct our intelligence activities, do everything which it now does. Uh, the sad thing is that uh, over the the past several decades uh, beginning at least um, beginning at least in the in the in the 1990s uh, and to some degree before that I mean you could you could start in modern terms from uh, from from 1965 from Lyndon Johnson's time the passage of the new immigration bill and uh, the creation of the Great Society and so forth. But the point is, during those decades, what had been a a politically neutral executive branch, civil service and foreign service for that matter, became increasingly politicized to the left, in part through the rise of public service unions, in part through the educational process, and the absorption of the leftist line, which began to be more consistently put down by our media uh, during the period of the Vietnam War. Uh, until now, uh, what you have is a politicized and in many ways highly corrupted uh, uh, ex- executive branch of, of government, of civil service and and, uh, and so forth. You see this in the FBI. You see it in the intelligence agencies. Um, I think that if we are able to win and and, uh, take significant control of Congress in 2024, one of the things that the president will have to do is create a civil service czar whose function will be uh, to develop a, a, a range of civil service reforms necessary to restore to the civil service that neutrality which um, which was at the core of of the reforms uh, instituted by Andrew Jackson uh, when he took what was what was then in the, back in the 1830s a highly politicized uh, uh, civil service and transformed it into something which was rather more neutral and then there have been a number of reforms since then but these have gradually eroded away and they've got to be replaced uh, because The civil service has shown, uh, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the CIA, what have you, they have shown in their uh, unrestrained opposition, for example, to President Trump while he was president. uh, And the the various steps that they took, which were uh, perhaps illegal, but certainly, uh, certainly, uh, what should I say, uh, not in keeping with the law and the mission of the Civil Service, uh, there is every reason to believe that they would do that again if Mr. Trump were reelected, or if Ron DeSantis were elected if Mr. Trump decides not to run or something like this. Uh, that cannot be permitted to continue to happen because uh, particularly over the decades that Congress has itself consciously given over so much of its authority to the executive branch. If you look at many, many of the laws that have been passed, there's a little paragraph in there somewhere toward the end, which basically says, uh, "Whatever this law says, the president doesn't have to do it if he regards that uh, that uh, ignoring it is is in the, the national security interest of in the United States." Um, and. He The various various elements of the EPA, for example, have undertaken uh, wide ranges of of, uh, regulatory establishment, um, often based on the flimsiest possible interpretations of the laws, and these interpretations have given them what amount to legislative power, and the Congress has to regain that power because if the Congress doesn't have it, the people don't have it
0: yeah I mean, I, I, I have a friend of mine. He wrote a book about this, uh, lost his business. He had a lab that did cancer testing uh, because of an ABC agency uh, that said that this recommendation is now has the powerful power of a law with the full penalties of a uh, monetary fine and possible jail time. Now, when does a recommendation become a regulation and the regulation having the full faith and power of a full-fledged law passed by Congress and then have penalties, financial as well as penal? I mean, come on. Why isn't this challenged? Why haven't we challenged this to the point where we've, we've torn the heart of that out? You take away that power from these bureaucrats, these faceless little bureaucrats that sit behind a desk and are just laughing and rubbing their hands together, going, "Oh, who could we screw today?" And that's what's happening. That's what happened to the American I public.
4: Suspect, I suspect that it wasn't challenged because it it operated to the benefit of whichever party was in power at the time. Um, if you. If you're in power and you want to you want to create certain certain um, uh, regulatory controls which uh, which benefit your philosophy or your donors or whatever uh, you don't want to give that power over, uh, particularly at a time when, as has been increasingly the case for the last several decades, the Congress has become more and more politicized and partisan, so that it's harder to get laws passed that would do what you would want. And gradually, the capacity the legislate has shifted as a practical matter, not a legal matter, that is to say it's not, technically speaking, a law, but it has the power and effect of law, and that has shifted from the Congress, where the Constitution places it, into uh, the executive branch, and uh, and in particular, given the size and scope and complexity of the executive branch, into the hands uh, of uh, politically appointed Officials who are at the top of the various departments of government and their permanent uh, civil service uh, bureaucrats who work under them, uh, to the degree that they have become politicized, as I say, then the uh, the regulatory rules uh, that they that that they devise, and these are smart people. Uh, the 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 rules they devise have become um, increasingly
0: constraining and controlling yeah well that's the whole thing the point is to constrain and to control once you remove the person's freedom to the point where they don't even recognize the fact that they once had freedom you have complete control and that's what they want you know you have now the perfect example was the mask mandates uh, it was the CDC recommends next thing you know it's a mask mandate you can't enter you can't have be. uh uh, I'm trying to think of the proper word. You cannot enjoy services and goods if you're not wearing your mask. Oh heaven forbid you want to sit down and have a meal and you go to move your mask down to take a bite. Oh my goodness, you're going to be kicked out you're going to call the police on you and have you handcuffed as we saw in New York City. You know you have the military that is being forced to take a jab on an experimental drug, which is exactly a the opposite of what the CDC recommendation is. But no, no, uh, this thing has now become law. And if you don't do it, you lose your job, you lose your pension, you lose your health benefits, and you probably lose your wife and kids. Yeah, it has gotten so out of hand.
4: The question is, do mayors or governors or others actually have the power to impose uh, these mandated controls? without some action being taken by, uh, by, uh, for example, a state legislature, if you're talking about a rule for a given state. Um, and that issue wasn't raised at the time, but it needs to be raised the moment it appears, because in truth, even with a pandemic like COVID, which could have been a lot more deadly than it was, um, because after all, we have a great number of people who are dead, but they're dead with COVID, not necessarily from COVID um uh you you the the people need to recognize that the threat uh to their freedoms and their liberties is far greater than the threat which results uh from failing to observe a mandate uh like masks which don't really provide much protection anyway uh against something like uh like the Wuhan virus but the, the part of the problem is that Traditional pillars, which supported and strengthened and guaranteed the future of our society, have been consciously weakened over the decades. Uh, particularly things like the family or religion. Uh, but this goes back. This can be traced as a as a calculated Marxist goal. It goes all the way back to the early part of the 20th century there was an Italian philosopher uh, who most people have never heard of, a Marxist philosopher. His name was Antonio Gramsci. And he argued that Lenin wasn't entirely right, that it's one thing to be able to seize power uh, for socialism via revolution. But a revolutionary government is always at risk of counter-revolutionary strikes on the right. Uh, What you must do if you're going to take power and preserve the power is have the people want you to keep that power. And the way to do that is first, weaken the traditional pillars of society. In his case, he was talking about Italy. And so he was talking about the Catholic Church. He was talking about uh, uh, families. But he was also talking about newspapers and book printing and early radio and that type of thing because this was, this was. uh, quote. when he was writing these things, it was uh, during and even before the First World War. Um, but his point was that as you take control of these things, you begin to insert only your your own ideas and your own philosophy and your own thought into these things. Uh, and over time, the people will come to think the way you do. And when that happens, you make sure that only your philosophy and your thoughts are permitted and acceptable, and the people will uh, think the same way you do. Now, there will be some who don't, but by and large, they will. And once you have that, once you have achieved that, there will be no significant threat of counter-revolution,
6: uh,
4: because the people will want uh, what it is that uh, uh, what it is that you have to offer, without thinking rationally about the nature of it or of any alternatives. This is, after all, what George Orwell wrote about. In yeah, 1984, uh, yeah. For, for uh, Gramsci's philosophy was taken up by a great number of people in uh, other Marxist philosophers in Europe, uh, many of whom fled to the United States uh, in the run-up to Nazi takeover of Germany. And they began, as you said, the insidious uh, infection of our... Uh, of, of our academe, of, of our, of our uh, universities, and what have you, uh, so that you had uh, you had from this group called the Frankfurt School when they first came to this country, uh, you had you had uh, people like Herbert Marcuse going out to uh, uh, to California and teaching out there. One of his students, a man named Der- named Derek Bell, uh, coming up with the concept, uh, of not just a critical theory, which uh, which is what Mercuse called it, but uh, critical race theory, uh, adding the racial consideration, bell of course was uh, was was uh, was black and uh, as the as the concept of critical race theory began gradually to take hold and now has blossomed uh, into into a major aspect of leftist philosophy, uh, you had you had the um, the left overcoming in our country a major problem, which was that our society was sufficiently responsive to the needs of its people so that the union movement did not bring about a revolution as it as it helped to do in Europe. Instead, it brought about extraordinary changes in which many of the, the needs of the working class were satisfied. The union movement was successful in this country. Uh, they needed something else uh, to divide us so that we would be easier to deal with, and they seized upon race, and it's working very well.
0: And now they throw in the the gender component, so you've got race and gender. And well, I'm sorry, there's not 59 different flavors of the month. The good Lord said man and woman. But the second you say that, oh, you're homophobic. I mean, how do you get from point point Z? That that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's male and female. Well, what? How you decide to enjoy your sex? That's your problem behind a closed door. I don't want to know about it
4: exactly you can deny biology if you want to uh, but homosexuality has been with us as far as I know as long as there have been human beings there is what you would call homosexual behavior amongst chimpanzees and and uh, if you believe in evolution uh, I I would assume that uh, uh, the hominids from which uh, modern man developed Modern humankind developed so as not to leave out women. Uh, that that uh, there was some homosexuality there too. There certainly is now. So what? That does not alter the biologic fact that there are men and there are women. Uh, yeah. The suggestion that men can get pregnant is absurd. Well,
0: tell that to Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie. No, no that that becomes fact. Fiction becomes fact. You know. When I saw that movie, I said they're opening the door. Hollywood is prepping us so in about five to ten years, this is going to be completely acceptable, that men can become pregnant and women can become men. Yeah, nah. I remember that I'm movie. sorry, it's an XX or an XY gene. You can't change the genes. No, right. you, you are. But that's,
4: uh, of course, a woman who transforms transforms herself mentally and behaviorally into a man, is still physically capable of becoming pregnant. So to the degree that you, if you say uh, a trans woman uh, is a man, okay, but internally that woman still has the physical capacity to become pregnant and can. If you argue that that's a pregnant man, well, all right, uh, but that doesn't alter the biology of it.
0: Mm-hmm. But what, what gets me is is that the way they are transforming society And Hitler was really good at this He knew that if you got the kids very young You got them away from the parents Which is why he kindergarten Get the kids away from the parents Put them into a public school system Where you can indoctrinate them Change society, which he did And which is what they are doing now You get the kids as young as possible Convince them that a boy isn't a boy and a girl isn't a girl, and your parents are stupid, and change society. And they're doing that. But I'm starting to feel a pushback because there's a segment of our society that still is keeping their wits about them, and I'm seeing it come up from the youth. And I'm praying it might be the salvation of this nation to put back on this leftist ideology that threatens to rip us apart.
4: Well, Lenin did the same thing in the Soviet Union with the young pioneers and the Komsomol. as he began indoctrinating children. One of the first things he did was take over the Ministry of Education after he overthrew the czar. But, um, yeah, we, we are... Th- there is a pushback against this movement, uh, but whether or not it will be successful is not clear uh, because, once again, we have to take control of the political structure, and then we have to find ways to undercut the power of the teachers' unions, which seem to be uh, the primary pushers at this point, of this kind of distorted, um, uh, I'm not even sure what word word you would use to describe it a single word, but this this distortion of biology, uh, in order to make that kind of concept normal, uh, to future generations it, it, it is not normal uh, that doesn't mean it should be uh, it should be uh, uh, disparaged if uh, that homosexuality should be disparaged what should be disparaged is trying to teach uh, young children that they need to consider what they're what they're, what they're whether or not they're homosexual uh, when they're still children they're not sexual at all and they won't no. be know reach puberty
0: No, even beyond, because the New England Journal of Medicine a number of years ago reported that the human brain is not fully sexually developed until the age of 27. And yet, 90% of the kids who question their sexuality, by the time they hit 18, graduating high school, they have decided what side of the fence they sit on. And 90% are heterosexual. And this indoctrination, these children are then, at a young age being allowed to alter their bodies physically and make damage. We have no idea at what point these hormones and all these other things are due to these children. Now they go through these surgeries. I saw an interview of a poor woman. She goes, she's now addresses herself as a man, but she regrets now having done that at a young age. And her regret is that I'll never have kids because everything has been surgically altered. And she feels like a woman, but she's now surgically in a man's body. I mean, the damage we're doing to our kids and our future generations is untold. But what, Ambassador, is the main point of this? Uh, wait a minute. Population. I'm sorry. Is what? The
4: main point is what?
0: Population control. Oh, well,
4: yeah. I mean, there are elements of, of the uh, of the green movement um and others in the far left who argue that uh it's not just a question of controlling the population uh it is also uh the need to reduce the numbers of humans uh that there are simply too many people in the world, and that uh that ways have to be found uh to reduce that number and they're not arguing for something like uh like like uh, uh I don't know, extermination, but they're arguing for uh, various kinds of industrial modification, which would have the effect of preventing uh, societies from supporting the numbers of people they have at present, which would mean that there would be larger numbers of deaths due to disease, perhaps starvation. Uh, One assumes there would be fewer children I don't know. I was thinking about this a while back, and uh, uh, I thought that maybe from their point of view, uh, they might conclude that the the, the the true answer, the way to reduce the numbers of people uh, at a time when they still have the power, uh, would, would be mass suicide. And I suppose from their perspective, there would be something to that. But I think if they are going to advocate this, uh, and then it's incumbent upon them as the geniuses who figured it out to show us the way. And while I wouldn't have the courage to follow their example, I would certainly contribute to a statue that might be built in their honor.
0: <laughs> you have a good sense of humor. Thank you, sir. <laughs> You know, there's so many things that are going on within our society because even with the vaccine, we're finding some of the side effects of the vaccine. Men become sterile. Women have miscarriages. Oh, but let's throw in the pro-choice movement that just had a nice win in Kansas. Um, Hey, listen, no, abortions are perfectly fine. Uh, Well, what would you say if your mother had decided to have aborted you? Wait a minute, that's right. You wouldn't have a voice because you wouldn't exist. And yet, well, certainly very true. And a,
4: a good part of again, being, being male, you know, this is not something that I uh, address directly, but uh, it does seem to me that a good part of the issue, as is discussed at present, seems to be one of timing. That is to say, is it all right to have an abortion in the first uh, uh, trimester? Or how about the end of the second trimester? What about right before birth or even suppose the intent is to is to abort the baby but it somehow gets born anyway and there it is lying there and it's alive Um, is it all right to 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 go ahead and and abort the baby after it after it comes out of the mother alive I mean isn't that murder Uh, but let's 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 take it a little further Suppose the baby is alive and it's lying there, the doctor is about uh, to complete the abortion when there's an emergency of some sort. He's called out of the called out of the operating room and says, Well, I'll be right back and so they they make the baby comfortable and they wait and two or three hours later the doctor comes back. Well now this this baby's been alive for several hours. Uh if the doctor goes ahead and kills it, is that still an abortion? Uh suppose suppose the mom thinks, gee, you know, uh I can't, you know, the little baby's alive. I'm not real sure. Let me think about it. So she stays in the hospital for a day or two, and then, and then at the end of that time, she says, "Well, yeah, go ahead." Okay. Well, now the baby's been alive for two or three days. It's just still abortion. Um, suppose she takes the baby home, and you know, she waits two or three weeks, two or three years until the kid is a teenager and really a problem, and then she wants to abort you know at what point do you come to the end of the period when it is acceptable if you're going to agree that it is acceptable at all under any circumstances at what point do you come to the end of the period where it ceases being abortion and starts being murder let's suppose that Hillary Clinton's mother was still alive and she decided now that all these all these centuries, all these decades ago, she wasn't sure really sure she wanted Hillary at the time and now she decided she doesn't want her anymore. Uh well when they drag Hillary off to the hospital to complete the abortion, uh is it an abortion? You know, it, it, it becomes absurd. Uh, it's something which which has been addressed technologically over the years as technology improved and you got you were able to determine that as the fetus was younger and younger and younger and younger it was still it still had elements of life about it it could it could feel pain it could try to avoid the uh, the vacuum device or the other things that were being done to it in the womb uh, It seems to me that the only rational decision to make uh, is that in light of current technology and the direction of that technology that life begins at the moment of conception and and then all the questions of timing go out the window because if you have a conceived fetus then you have a conceived fetus and uh, you could argue that that uh the woman may not want to carry the the fetus to uh, to to uh, to the point of birth. she should have thought about that uh, when she was having sex. there are any number of different means of birth control and i mean okay rape incest that type of thing uh, uh, certain types of of uh, of diseases or other things might be might be issues that could be addressed within that context but generally speaking actions have consequences and that's true for yeah. true as true for sex as it is for something like bank robbery exactly
0: exactly exactly you know there's so much more to be said about you know the pro life uh, movement and I have to admit I actually made a t-shirt I really do have to put this up on our website um, It said, I thank God my mom is life. And there's a lot to be said with that. Every time I see women uh, protesting for pro-choice, I'm like, "What would you be able to protest here now today if your mother chose the abortion? You know, you think about that. You would not have a voice. You would not exist. Well, (laughs) And, And they just don't get it.
4: In the period from Roe v. Roe v. Wade in, what, 73, wasn't it, that it was decided, until the present, there have been approximately 65 million successful abortions conducted in the United States. Uh, that is a hell of a lot of deaths. I mean, Hitler only killed 6 million Jews. Uh, yeah. Stalin killed about killed about 20 million people. Mao is said to have been responsible for the deaths of some 70 million Chinese. So we're getting close to the world record if you, regard, if you regard abortion as death. And that's a hell of a thing to say about a country like the United States.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. Well, Ambassador, it has been a lot of fun to have you with us. Um, how can people find you and learn more about you?
4: Uh, well, you know, I'm retired. I really I don't have a blog or anything like that. I don't, uh, I write things for Republican Party clubs over here in Volusia County where I live. Um, to, to be honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I mean, uh, I, I'm not a, I'm not a public just,
6: speaker. I just, I'll have just to keep, me. yeah, I'll just keep inviting you back ambassador. I beg your pardon? I'll just keep inviting you back. (laughs) (laughs) By all means. By all means. And I I can't do
4: statements. Uh, I I speak to local clubs over here in the Volusia area and that sort of thing. And uh, um, I did a regular radio show over here for a time on one local station, but the chap who was running it passed away. And so, uh, you know, I'm really not – I'm really not as active publicly, but I'm 80 years old. I'm getting to the point where uh, where I'm not as active in that sort of way as I used to be. Uh, and, again, uh, frankly, <clears throat> I mean, we had a discussion today about politics largely in the United States and American foreign policy, and that's fine. But people often want me to... Uh, to speak about my career and that sort of thing, and things that I did, and various revolutions and wars and what have you. And I generally don't do that. I've turned down, uh, I turned down a request to do a an HBO documentary. I turned down a couple of things from universities, uh, well-known national universities, uh, to write something for them on, on, on my career. I, I just, when I came aboard, I took an oath. Uh, not to reveal classified information and while it's been decades still it's it's something that i it's an oath that i think i should keep so i i i don't have the kind of public persona that
0: uh
6: that i might have no kiss and tell you are a
0: font a font of information though that is for true
4: well thank you very much
0: well, we've got our, our next victim up there. So, Ambassador Stan Escudero, it is always a pleasure to have you with us. And you know, we welcome you back anytime. And if there's something you want to talk about, you get a hold of Curtis and say, get me on the show, Curtis. <laughs> All right? We'll be happy to <laughs> have fine.
2: you. Uh,
4: thank
0: you very much. All I'll right. Keep that in mind. All right. Okay, take care. All right.
2: All right. Take care.
0: All right. Ambassador Stan Escudero, uh, we have our next victim in on the line. He's to the show. Is a fellow Paesano, Stefano, Genarini, if I can even say my name. Oh, no, wait a minute. Am I getting this out of order? It is Stefano, right?
1: That's, that's me. Yes, yes.
0: All right. My co-host put the wrong name in there. That's what he did to me. He messed up my studio. Shame on I you, Curtis. Shame my on bad. you. <laughs> oh, man. Um I'm trying to find my notes now. I just got myself a little turned around here. Uh, You are with the Civil Society for the Family. Uh, The website is c-fam.org, correct? Center for Family and Human Rights, yes, or CFAM,
1: as we're known. All
0: right. Now, I watched the video of you testifying before the UN. Boy, you sock it, them. This was for sustainable development. The second I hear the word sustainable, the hackles on the – my neck go up like crazy. <laughs> Please explain what you were you were speaking and addressing the UN about.
1: Um, I, I think you're referring to the the recent um, uh, meeting of the Com- Commission on Population Development this spring, and um, it's a commission that meets annually to discuss population and development. That is how populations affect uh, population issues, population policies um, affect uh, development. Um, as you can imagine, as, uh, as there's been more and more of focus on sustainable development in recent years, uh, by that meaning in uh, development that, that does not, um, um, harm the earth or the environment or that respects the environment, um, that you, you, there's been a focus on that. And so, you know, some people think that, you know, everyone should stop having children. In order to prevent uh, the earth from exhausting its resources and uh, we often find ourselves at the UN um, arguing against that line of thinking and saying that in actual fact um, uh, human beings are, are a resource themselves and human ingenuity is, uh, is going to carry us through any environmental issues that we may encounter.
0: Well, yeah, these, these same brain surgeons are the ones that also say that cow farts are poisoning the planet. You know, I'm sorry. It, it, it <laughs> is a way of, of population control, and it's the only way you can look at it. You know, sustainable environments, they want to shove you into these urban areas uh, where you live, work, and die within this one or two-block area. Uh, no, more, no more gasoline cars, and you're either on a bicycle a public transportation, or these highly pollutive electric vehicles.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's it, sustainable development is just a, a a way for governments to pick economic winners and losers. Um, and um, it seems it seems everyone's on board now, though that, that 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 seems to be the issue. And so oftentimes we can't we can't even argue against uh, this line of, uh, of policies. But we find ourselves simply having to um, to, um, to sort of sort of do damage control. So, for example, you know, even in the co- context of uh, population policies, we find ourselves saying, well, you know, if, if you're actually interested in um, creating development that is sustainable, that is green, if you like, you know, environmentally friendly, then the most important thing is to have enough people to sustain the a new green economy and it, it, very often the big companies are not investing in new green um, production methods or um, even governments are not investing in new uh, energy resources simply because there's n- they're never going to be able to make the return on their investment and that's because of demographic issues that's because um, there aren't going to be enough of us paying for that green renewable energy in the long run for those who invest in make the initial large investment to develop it in the first place to make their returns.
0: Well you know, I, I think it I had it opened correctly, um, that it's a scam. And you've got someone that has a way to make extra money and gain power because of this new green idea. Uh, whether it 's an electric car, solar panels, uh, or some other new development there 's always follow the money, and if you follow the money, then you find what the actual truth is behind this these green new deals, which is no deal at all for the regular average person like you or i yeah, without a
1: doubt and it, you know. The, the biggest losers the, of the green economy or this green revolution are going to be the poorest amongst us, but also the poorer countries because they're the ones who are going to be saddled with a huge bill for renewable energy uh, technologies, That and all the money is going to wealthy developed countries, and the poorer countries who are furthest behind are going to have to scale up their technologies um, you know, without having, ever having had a chance to develop the old-fashioned way in the first place.
0: Now, they they use this idea of population control. They say it's to help to make everything more equitable, but it has the exact opposite effect, doesn't it? I mean, you're going to have either the very elite and then you're going to have the bottom of the ladder who have to serve the elite. There's no middle class at all if you do population control. Well, you'll
1: find that uh, population control policies are usually used uh, against minorities, um ethnic minorities, religious minorities and we've seen this happen everywhere. It was it was, you know, the in, in India The Hindu majority tried to use it on the Muslim minority in China. It's now being used by the Han majority against the the minority uh, Turkic populations in the in the western part of China. And um, it's the same across Africa and other places, um, even, even in Latin America. Whenever you, you hear of forced sterilizations or even coercive sterilizations or even incentivized sterilizations and long-term contraceptives, it's generally, um, it's, governments inevitably uh, use it against, uh, for, their own, for their own gain. And um, it, it tends to affect uh, political minorities. More than, more than anybody else. Even though most of the money for this kind of policy is coming from Western countries, including from the United States.
0: Now that's the ironic part. We are the source of our own demise. Are we not?
1: Well, uh, according to Elon Musk, yes. I mean, the 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 biggest threat to civilization is. Uh, its population decline. We've we've never we've never seen the kind of population decline that we're facing now. The UN Population Division, which is the the world's per, foremost authority on predicting where the population and what the population currently is and where the population is going to be, and uh, they have been saying now for for a long time that the their predictions were very very optimistic and that in actual fact. The global population will peak sometime in the next 50 to 60 years, and um, we don't know. We've never we've never seen uh, we've we've never seen this kind of uh, population slowdown, if you like. Uh, the only other cases have been plagues or catastrophic wars uh, that have decimated populations in the past, and it's never been pretty. So, but we've never seen this kind of population decline absent some kind of catastrophic event and Frankly, we don't know what's ahead of us. It's we're really navigating in uncharted waters.
0: Well, if you, if you peel back the years and you go back to um, the early 60s where it was like, oh well, wait a minute. You have a big family. You're using up a lot of resources. I mean, um, come on. You can't have 12 kids. Uh, two kids is fine. And then we saw the single-parent household where you have only one kid. Then now you have the push of the abortion movement. Now you throw in on top of that the new transgender movement that is taking away the fertility of our youth in exchange for whatever flavor of the month it is. There are so many different assaults in our society that it's a wonder that we even have children being born.
6: No, it
1: seems the only ones who want to have children are transgenders nowadays. Um, that's that's the fact. Um, the and it's uh, it, it is problematic as a society, and it's it's and it's, I'm not saying this just from a point of view of a religious standpoint or a moral standpoint, but it really is also a, a really social and economic crisis uh, because uh, there is no there is simply no example anywhere in the world. Of, uh, of a population being able to um, restore their fertility um, to above replacement once it dips below replacement. And uh, that's, that's catastrophic. Right now, the German economy has been in recession for five years because their labor force has declined. Our own labor force is now beginning to decline here in the United States. Um, is the recession that we are now experiencing just a coincidence? Probably not, Except, but there's a, this sacred cow of the small family norm and sexual autonomy uh, that uh, has simply uh, prevented us, even from talking about the demographic problem, which is why, you know, kudos to Elon Musk and others who have been brave enough to to talk about it. But you don't hear the media talking about it in any in any serious way.
0: Now, what is the uh, the number, the figure for population? Uh, 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 what was the word I'm thinking of? Replacement. Uh, I, 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 Replacement, thank you very much. I thought it was like so they, one point five if you go below that then you're in trouble
1: no you, if if you go below two point one you 're below replacement but even even the replacement uh, ideal it 's simply an ideal i mean it, it never really happens in actual fact and this is demo- demographers have been studying this for very entire for for more than two generations and they 've been showing that um that population never grows, you know, is never at the same level. There's no way to maintain the population at the same level. The only way to do that is through coercion. And um, so in actual fact, population grows and declines in waves. And and that's the normal course of population growth uh, throughout history. Um, There's no way to, to engineer that and, but the fact is, population uh, for, or fertility it has been uh, trending downwards since the 1960s, since already before then, but it just precipitated after the 1960s. And now everywhere in the world, without exception, it is, uh, it is declining. There, the only places where, where um, population is above fertility, also there it is declining. So population fertility is simply declining, and, and it's, it's, there's no example anywhere in the world of a reversal of this. And now we have countries like, like Russia who are losing almost 100,000 people a year of their population. Their population is declining majorly. And and, you know, and that's why you see uh, you know, also the, the instability that we're seeing in the world as a result of Russian aggression. It, it certainly is tied into that, to that fact also. Um, and sociologists and demographers, economists are studying this issue and trying to resolve it, but they simply is, there's simply, they simply don't know how to reverse the trend. Once once fertility declines, how do you convince a family to have more kids? How do you convince a woman that that having kids is is, is a possibility? It, it seems impossible nowadays. Um, and uh, it, it's more than just a question of of uh, you know economic resources. It's more a question of cultural norms and social norms. I mean. It, One of the most interesting things about uh, demography in in recent decades is that most women will say that they would like to have more children but are unable to. They're simply unable to, especially in Western countries. They've been unable to have more kids. Um, And a lot of that is because they feel like they don't have the support that's necessary to have more kids, whether it's the intergenerational support the social support, the economic support, whether it's because of social norms that frown upon motherhood and stay-at-home moms uh, that force uh, women into into sort of having to juggle career and family, which inevitably makes it very hard on women. You know, to, to can you can you have both? Can you have it all? Well, maybe for some women, but maybe not all women. So, so the, it, it's very hard to to uh, reverse the social norms that have now been um, uh, totally assimilated in our culture and society and and, and we are now deal, we will now deal with the economic fallout of that as well as the of the social political consequences of it
0: well the the, the shift of having the female being the center of the family being the one that nurtures that raises that teaches it, suddenly it was oh, you're, you're too stupid, you know, you're are stay-at-home mom, um, uh, here I am, I've, I've got a career, I've got this, I've got that, I can afford this beautiful house because it's my money and I don't have to have a man tell me. The change in the society that all of a sudden just downplayed the role that was so important, that was so, so important, and i think in some instance the pandemic what that's full swing around i think women are starting to see the role they need to play in the household to raise their children properly
2: well
1: you'd think so except that if you look at the actual the demographics uh the fertility has dipped uh, lower than ever before it's it's now you know up until the pandemic there were, you know, U.S. demographers were holding out, you know, there was sort of like a US, American exceptionalism in demography. American demographers were, were you know, maintaining that, you know, we, here in the United States we would be able to sustain a stable population, that our fertility was not going to dip below uh, 2.1 as the fertility in uh, Western, other Western countries, particularly Europe, and that we were exceptional in that regard and uh you know the, uh, the pandemic has proven otherwise, and in actual fact um uh the pandemic has showed that we are just as weak demographically if not weaker than uh, than our than our cousins in europe
0: now the, the curious thing is, is what is causing this drop in fertility you know is it because people are now taking all different types of medication for every single little ache and pain which is changing their fertility rate is it because the jab that everyone's being forced to take and we're finding it does affect men's fertility as well as women's um, is there something in the environment that we're doing different than other countries are not doing uh, it's, it's a lot of questions or is it now we have been pushing this transgender ideal For so many decades, it's now taking the toll on our society.
1: Well, I would say the the transgender ideal, it's all the above in a sense, but the transgender ideal is simply the most um, most recent and the most uh, extreme manifestation of the social norms that have sort of underpinned much of our understanding of family and marriage and sexuality over the last 50 to 60 years. And it begins with uh, a generally a tolerance for unfettered sexual autonomy at a societal level, in the sense that nobody feels that anybody should be challenged on, on, about their sexual behavior, whether, whatever it is that they choose to do. And, and then it goes on to uh, sort of look upon family formation as something entirely accidental, um, instead of being something essential to society. And um, the combination of these things with the sort of the, um, the idea that uh, the pressure on women to, to have it all in the sense of both be um, uh, mothers in the fullest sense of the word at, at the same time as being um, having, uh, you know, trailblazing careers, that, that pressure has, has contributed to simply um, eroding the family norm that we had in the United States, uh, you know, 60, 70 years ago, and where now individuals simply do not feel like that's what they want, or they feel that even if it is what they want, they feel that because of the social norms around them, because of the economic reality, because of the tax <laughs> situation or whatever, um, they cannot, uh, they cannot engage in, in sort of informing this, their, their ideal family and having More kids. I mean, think about it this way: having children is a sign of a of a culture uh, of hope, of hope in the future, um, of of hope for for yourself, uh, of love, you know, for for others. And uh, you know, we are we said we we've uh, we've propagated a culture of consumerism where you think only of what's in it for me. And, um, and you know this cult- culture is completely at odds with with the family and the reality of the family and what the family needs. You know what children need in a family. So you well, know, it, and so in a way, the 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 most uh, extreme you could say manifestation of this uh, exaltation of sexual autonomy is really um, um, tra- the transgender movement, where you know it, it's it's simply. We we can't just uh, challenge anybody about what they're doing with their sexuality. We can't challenge them about what they're thinking about themselves either.
0: Well, you you said a lot in that little bit uh, (laughs) that we can always expand on for the next three hours. But we don't have you for the next three hours. But we have become a society. Uh, But what I've noticed also is a disconnected society people that are so involved in their smart devices and their social media, they no longer know how to interact interpersonally. And that, I think, is oh, also yeah. a high, big uh, contributing factor to our population drop. If you cannot relate to your fellow human being and see them as someone as, as equal as you are, with the same feelings the same desires as you have, You become insulated. You are there, and then the world just exists around you. You're the center of the universe. Instead of having people have an interaction to treat each other with respect and dignity, and then to be able to fall in love and then say, Hey, this is great. Let's start a family and let the kids feel this. And let's bring around hope, as you said. But we become so disposable and so set in our social networks and our devices they don't know how to interact with a fellow human being.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, you know, it, we we saw a little bit of this with the sort of the the video game culture. You know, oh, e- even millennials and you know, even the Gen Xers, in a sense, uh, before the millennials, um, there was a lot of people who grew up playing video games, and that affected them socially in the sense their ability of they're addicted to video games. They were and uh, they they didn't really learn to to socialize in the same way as previous generations because of that, and now we're seeing this at a mass scale throughout society because of cell phones and yes, without a doubt it's having an effect on it's going to have a huge effect on on you know kids' ability to to grow up in a healthy social way and then to to interact healthily with others, including with the ability of forming a family and realizing their full potential as human being in that, in that regard. So it's, it's very sad and, um, yeah, w- without a doubt, it's hard to think, you know, that, that cell phones have only been around for or the smartphones anyway, for the last 10 years. And, and, um, they've had such a huge impact on, on this next generation that is coming up and, um, you know i i see it firsthand with, with the, the teenagers I've, I've been involved with and to through, um, to through work in my own parish and um and yes without a doubt they they, they need to be helped they need to be helped
0: i had um a, one of our uh, visiting pastors in our church come over to our house one day my husband had been really ill and he came over to minister to him and we started talking and he handled the youth ministry And his comment was, these kids don't know how to look you in the eye and shake your hand, much less fill out a job application. You know, I went through the grocery store line a number of years back, and you know those little plastic dividers to put your groceries on one side and your person behind you on the other side? Well, as she's scanning everything through, she starts to try to scan that divider. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm not buying that. That divides the groceries from my set and her set. They don't even understand the social skills for that. And this is the generation where these are the kids who are coming out of our public school system. Now, I think parents are starting to realize how bad our, our education system is. And if we can get more parents involved in the education system and maybe more homeschooling, more private schooling, more religious schooling, and get them out of the public system, I think we have a chance.
1: Well, there'll, there'll be certainly a chance to have a minority uh, that is uh, culturally relevant, uh, socially, that can be a source of social renewal. But uh, I do think that uh, in the coming years the picture is bleak, and we have to brace ourselves for the worst, and be prepared, and be realistic about what's ahead of us. And um, and, and 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 yes, in many ways, create those spaces, those. Truly safe spaces, uh, in the real sense of the word, safe for our kids to grow up, so that um, so that we can have a uh, a possibility to to help um, society in the future. Um, Because just just to to to, uh, go along with what's going along now in schools and in society more broadly is uh, is the death knell of our own families.
0: Well, do you find in your your church if you have to teach these youths basic social skills <laughs>
1: yes. yes but thankfully there's there's ways to do it that is fun for them as well and and uh, they're they they're, they uh they learn a lot
0: now i have another question because this is a little bit off the, the beaten path because it just flitted through this wacky mind of mine. How much does autism, the the spread, the, the spread, the growth of autism in our society affected what we're talking about now, here and now, the social skills as well as you know the population?
1: Uh, oh, I don't know about that. That 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 would that's uh, I'm not sure even how I would relate the the two, but um, I, I'm not aware of a connection there. Um, I am aware of the of, of autism as a as a growing phenomenon and, and growing awareness about it, especially. Um, but um, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure the, the connection with population issues more broadly.
0: Now, that, that would be something, you know, interesting to uh, look into. Well, Stefano, it is a pleasure to have you here. You definitely have to come back on and come back on soon because there's so much more to talk about. You've got some really great, interesting articles up on c-fam.org, uh, one of them dealing with homosexual and transgender issues backfiring in some of the Western states, such as the Muslim countries. Uh, the other one I loved a lot was the Netherlands' human right record criticized because of euthanasia and abortion. And I urge people to go onto that website and read your articles over there and find out more about what you're doing there.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: It has been a pleasure. And God bless you for the hard work you do, sir.
2: Thank you. You too.
0: All right. Stefano Gennarini over at cfam.org. And we've got my buddy... the. Epoch Times, or the Epic Times, as well as with Faith
6: the <laughs> Hill Faith.
0: I always get that backwards. My buddy, Mark Tapscott. Mark, how are you today?
6: I'm
3: great, Ann. How are
0: you? Hey. I'm um, busier than one arm paper hanger.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, hear thunder, if you hear thunder in the background, it's because we're having uh, quite a thunderstorm here.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, we had one earlier that just, uh, the second it hit, it sounded like it was right in my front yard. I saw five cats go literally flying up in the air and scatter in five different directions. So, oh, yeah. (laughs) We've got a lot of thunderstorms coming through the area.
6: Holy cow. Global warming. Global warming. Global warming, yeah. Global warming. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, man, I've got to get my articles here in line because I was printing out stuff just last minute. Um, Here we go. This is what I was looking for. Um, You wrote an article uh, on the Epoch Times about billions that's supposed to be meant for small businesses, but it seems to be heading to China and Russia. uh, And uh, Open the Books has a great follow-up on that one. What the heck is going on what is the government doing to us that we're not paying attention to?
3: Well, you know Ann, it's it's kind of ironic um six years ago, seven years ago, the uh, Republicans who controlled Congress at the time uh, were very upset with the export import bank precisely because the billions of dollars that it gets every year from the u s taxpayer are supposed to go primarily to help U.S. small businesses, um, you know, sell their products overseas. But instead, most of it, uh, literally most of it, goes to the Boeing Corporation. Uh, Whenever they sell uh, a bunch of airliners, new airliners, to a a company in a foreign country, they are able to get loan guarantees through the XM Bank. And, of course, uh, that's a huge boost to Boeing.
0: Uh, the Beck telephone company yeah. also takes advantage of that. Well, and, uh, and what people? Uh, well, I just want to say how much that Boeing had gotten between 2007 and 2021. This number is absolutely phenomenal: sixty-six billion, four hundred thirty-four million, five hundred forty-five thousand, four hundred thirty-seven and nine cents.
6: You can't forget the nine yeah. cents.
0: <laughs>
3: Well, don't forget this. This primarily is in the form of loan guarantees, uh, and the the, this, the the thing about it that is so frustrating is, um, frequently the the company that is getting the loan guarantees for sales or to, to buy something from Boeing, is in a place like China or Russia or Nigeria. Or Turkey um, those are the four of the um, the six foreign countries that that have benefited the most from the xm port XM bank so the Republicans were so upset with it in 2015 that they allowed the charter of the bank to expire
2: and mm-hmm. you know
3: you would think well that would be the end of the XM bank but Somebody made a deal someplace, and five months later, the Republicans agreed to re-up it, and it's still here, and it's still doing the same thing.
0: Now, can we trace back who ended up re-upping it? The Republicans? Was it uh,
3: the Democrats? Was it both? in, In 2015, President Barack Obama was still in office. And the Republicans had a small majority in the Senate, a fairly significant majority in the House. Uh, and if I recall correctly, the uh, reinstituting the charter of the XM Bank was part of a budget agreement at the end of the year. So you know, it was one of these things that was used as uh, leverage to get other things that people want. That's politics in Washington. My my point in citing that is. Um, you, you have these huge government institutions that consume billions and billions of dollars, tax dollars every year, uh, and periodically one of them will get in trouble in um, so much trouble, so much bad uh, publicity and exposure that Congress will have to do something. But even then, the pressures to bring it back, they never stop. They never stop lobbying to bring it back And that's why it's so difficult To make big government smaller That's why Ronald Reagan said the closest thing To eternal life we'll see here on earth Is a federal program
0: Yeah Yeah or a federal agency (laughs) Then that's Eternal employment But you know you look at the countries That benefited uh, 17.5 billion To Mexico Another yes. seven point two billion to India. Saudi Arabia yep. almost seven billion. United Emirates six and a half billion. China yep. over six billion. Turkey right. sixth. Ireland. South Korea, Australia and Brazil. And then you look at the banks, JP Morgan Chase, the biggest. With twenty three billion in lending. Yep. Oh my goodness. And you look yep. at this money, and how much of this is American taxpayer dollars?
3: Well, it's all that way. I mean, it is it's it is loan guarantees based on um, uh, appropriated funds in the XM bank's uh, coffers. And, you know, people who invest in these companies that are benefiting from the XM uh, make a lot of money on it, and... Uh, you know, it would be nice if once in a while they would at least tell us thank you.
0: Now, I thought the XM uh, Bank was supposed to be an international bank, but it, it is, the American it taxpayers paid the it,
3: whole bill? Uh, yes, it's, it is a U.S. government agency. There are 300, I think, 386 employees that work at the XM Bank, and they are federal employees.
0: This is this is scary, because here we have a whole banking system with investment, But isn't that what the Federal Reserve is supposed to be?
3: Well, it's a, it's a particular program set up to to function like a bank for a particular purpose, and that particular purpose, as we mentioned at the outset, as you mentioned at the outset, is supposedly is supposed to help small businesses, um, but as so frequently happens, that's not the way it actually operates.
0: So, you know, small businesses, you know, forget it. You know, you're not going to exist anymore here in the United States because only big corporations or foreign corporations are going to be the only things out here. You know, it's going to be the Wally world of the world. Um, Well, you know, open the
3: books when they did their analysis of, of the XM Bank. They, they found that only about 23% or about $1 of every five that XM um, makes available uh, goes actually goes to small businesses. And I have to confess, when I first read that in the Open the Books report, I was surprised that it was that much because I would have expected it to be even smaller than that.
0: Now, when they say small business, they're not talking about the mom and pop making cupcakes on the corner, what are they talking about when they say small business? It's
3: I'm, I'm not sure what the employee uh, ceiling is. I think it's like 500, and and compared to um, you know uh, Boeing, which has I think 26,000 employees, that's a small business.
0: <clears throat> now a 500 person business to us is a big business. Uh, but, yeah. depending upon what they you know and what the products they 're offering that is available worldwide, and that could be very lucrative for a small business, but it 's not yeah it, it 's mind boggling it is absolutely mind boggling how our government finds a way to spend our dollars and make us feel happy about it. you know just excuse mm-hmm. me i 'll bend over and you do whatever you want, and i 'm going to say thank you, sir you don 't have to buy me dinner. That's all right, yeah. you know, but that's, that's the American taxpayer.
2: Yep. You know,
3: yep. Unfortunately, you, that's the way it is.
0: <laughs> at least give me a kiss, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you look at all these things that you've been reporting on recently about the grants and everything else that's going on with our government. I had no idea there were grants out there to help support atheism overseas. Isn't that amazing?
3: Isn't Isn't that that, that amazing? The State Department um, issued a notice of a competitive grant for the purpose of uh, promoting the protection of religious freedom, particularly with reference to atheism, humanism, and it listed some other uh, Belief um, systems that um, Are extremely rare uh, And each of the grants Are available at up to $500,000 These are going to go to international Organizations, uh, NGOs uh, Associated with the, the United Nations And You know, as soon as The people in, in Congress Republicans in Congress heard about this They said, wait a minute If you were sending these $500,000 grants out to promote Christianity, there would be all kinds of protests. But here you are promoting atheism with U.S. tax dollars. What's going on? And, you know, uh, Congressman Jim Banks, who is the chairman of the Republican Study Committee in the House, and 17 of his colleagues, uh, other House Republicans, uh, sent a letter
2: to Secretary
3: of State, Anthony Blinken, saying, what's going on here? And
6: State Department hasn't responded. When I asked the
3: State Department this week, yes,
6: Curtis. Go ahead and finish. I'll I'll wait. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say. Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, isn't it true that under Obama, NASA was tasked with um, promoting Islam? Yes. This just how
3: crazy it's gotten. That's <laughs> still doing that because one of my fellow Oklahomans um, became the um, uh, administrator of NASA under Donald Trump. Oh, there's a big boom. Did you guys hear that?
0: No. I heard something in the background. No? Boy, I'll tell you,
3: that was a big one. That was a boomer. Anyway, um, huh? they... Uh, Uh, I'm pretty sure they discontinued that program. But then you have the State Department come along with this one, and they refuse to provide any information about it. So as Congressman Banks said in his letter to Blinken, if you guys won't talk about this, you know, it leads to the conclusion that you're up to something. And so we've got to know what. And they have now told the State Department to preserve all of the documents that are connected with this particular grant program And that's a diplomatic way of saying as soon as we get the majority come November, we're going to investigate this. So don't destroy anything. We'll Mm. see. We'll
0: we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Because one of the paragraphs in there says, It's one thing for the department to be tolerant and respectful of a wide range of belief systems and to encourage governments to respect the religious freedom interests of their citizens. It's quite another to the United States government to work actively to empower atheists, humanists, non-practicing, and non-affiliated in public decision-making. Any such yes. program for any religiously identifiable group in the United States would be unconstitutional. In addition yep. to its constitutionality, dubious legal foundation. We also question mm-hmm. how such a grant or cooperative agreement program advances the foreign policy interests of the United States.
3: You know, the the really puzzling thing about this is if the the grant was to encourage uh, respect for religious freedom, simply, just for religious freedom, um, I I suspect nobody would have any problems with that because, you know, regardless of what your religious perspective is or even if you have no religious perspective, um, it ought to be respected by government. So nobody would be upset with that, but to specifically say um, to respect freedom of religion for atheism, humanism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that raises all kinds of red flags. And I suspect we will be hearing more about this particular program uh, early in 2023.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, there has been an attack on Christianity and Judaism on a a blanket scale here under this administration and no one's saying anything but heaven forbid you turn around and protest against a mosque uh, no no that's alright but if you're a uh-huh. Christian or you're Jewish you are fair game and yep. if the atheists come <laughs> after the Christians and the Jews it's no problem so our government is promoting religious intolerance
3: Well, and and even beyond that, and, um, you know, there's been a tremendous increase in the uh, violence against uh, uh, pregnancy centers that are intended to help women who are uh, pregnant and and need help and don't want to get an abortion. They don't want to kill their babies. There's been a a huge increase in in physical attacks uh, on those facilities and the people uh, who work in them. Um, and the Justice Department has acknowledged that that's a problem, but so far there is no evidence that they're actually doing anything to investigate it and determine who's behind it and, and bring those people to justice. Uh, you also have situations like with the Biden administration's uh, new regulation to um, condition the receipt of uh, the federal Federally supported free lunch program in schools. Um, the schools have to do certain things to promote uh, LGBTQT um, interest, and there is, in particular, one uh, private Christian school I think in Tampa um, that has gone to federal court um, because they're saying, "Look, you know, you're you're requiring us." Uh, to advance and promote values that that are contrary to our religious um, faith, we can't do that. And yet, we do want to feed these these kids, and that's that is discrimination against uh, uh, Christianity. So, you're right. The Biden administration is doing a lot of things that that. Um, probably twenty five years ago, even everybody in this country would be amazed if the government had tried to do it
0: well you know I, I thought that the religious school issue had been resolved at one school with the playground um, where it was, they weren't allowing to use federal uh, government funds to put this uh, surface cover on it that would have been far safer for them couldn't use you know government funds to do that because if it's a religious right. institute and yet right. the government is saying that even though you're a religious institute you have to teach what is exactly against your belief the assault yes. on on faith is unbelievable um and in, well I, you I, know, I, I i i even go ahead you know, they did it with the uh, the bathrooms, you know, because you have yep. to have a transgender bathroom. You have to allow the boys to go into the girls and the girls go into the boys. And it doesn't yep. matter if there's sexual or if it's against the religious faith. But I thought, again, that was settled. Uh, and it's obviously it's not. The government just turns around and says, we don't care what court precedent is. We're just going to do whatever we feel like doing. Well, that's the thing about having... Um
3: you know, a a huge government bureaucracy that's involved in regulating every aspect of of our daily life. Uh, you you think you get one of these issues resolved uh with regard to one thing, one area, the playground issue, for example. And up pops the same issue with regard to something else, in this case to the um uh, promoting LGBTQ2 values or you don't have the federal lunch program, uh, free lunch program. It's like a whack-a-mole program, you know, the bureaucrats and the liberals, yeah. you beat them on one place and lo and behold, two seconds later, there they are up in another place. You, you beat them down on that one and then they come up someplace else. So as a result, um, the people who, who believe in the limited government uh, and The constitutional values that have made this country great uh, are constantly on the defensive because government is so big, there are so many different ways that liberals and progressives can um, attack our
0: freedom. Now, to shift gears a little bit more, um, a number of years ago, there was a scientist, a Chinese, uh, working in an American lab, uh, that themselves into a lot of trouble for spying for, China. and lo and behold, um, there, there's a bill that the GOP is putting out telling the U.S. National Labs to polygraph Chinese or Russian applicants that don't have green cards. Now, how the heck are you going to get a job? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are they here legally or illegally? Without a green card. In the most highly sensitive area in our government, our labs. Oh, wait a minute. That's right. Uh, it's Chinese. They're they, they already stealing our intellectual property and our technology. So let's just give it away to them for free. Don't worry about that.
3: Yes. Stealing us blind, um, I, that, that that is one of the most amazing stories I've seen in a long time. I, the fact that the U.S. National Labs, Lawrence Livermore, Oak Ridge, and so forth, um, where, you know, incredible research and development is done um, by these, there's 17 of them uh, across the country. The fact that these people have to be told, you know, wait a minute, if you've got somebody applying for a job in a sensitive research area or sensitive national security area, they're from Russia or China or one of these countries of concern, And they don't have a green card, then you ought to be asking questions about why they want this job here, and you ought to be thinking twice about (laughs) whether or not you're going to hire them. And yet, they have to. They have to be told that. Uh, And a couple of Republican senators, um, um, Senator Marshall from Kansas, and um, I believe Senator who's the other one. I'm suddenly drawing a. Barrasso, drawing. Barrasso, yeah, Barrasso from uh, from Wyoming uh, have this bill that says to the national labs, you know, you you have to do this, you have to give them a polygraph, and you have to you have to investigate their background, you have to know who they are, where they're from, what whether or not they have conflicts of interest, for example, uh, with Chinese um, or Russian interest. Uh, And then you have to think very carefully about whether you're going to hire them.
0: Now, this comes down to a report back in 2019 to the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, a permanent investigation subcommittee. Boy, that is a mouthful. Where It dealt with Individual N, the letter N. Tell us about Individual N. Well –
3: Individual N hosted a bunch of uh, other, he was a, a Chinese national, um, hosted a bunch of other Chinese nationals at one of the energy uh, labs. Uh, actually, they, they, they showed up at several of the energy labs. Um, and Individual N was hired by the lab, one of the labs, and then hired himself four more Chinese nationals. Uh, several of whom were participants in this Chinese program, the Thousand Talents Program, which basically is a cover for uh, industrial espionage by Chinese um, spies. Um, brought in four of these people, and eight others um, were also involved. He involved them in various and sundry ways in the activities that he was uh, conducting at the at the energy lab. Um, you know, you had this guy. They they knew he was there. They knew what he was doing, but they hadn't done anything. And I think he's still employed at the uh, one of the <laughs> labs. I, I could be wrong about that, but I think he is. Yeah,
0: this is, this is phenomenal. You know, the average Joe Blow, you and I, um, if we decide to go be employed. Uh, we have to go through a back check. You run the social security number, and then the businesses is, is audited to make sure that they have people that are are not there illegally. Uh, however, if you're an illegal alien, or if you're a member of one of our enemy governments, don't worry about it. You get a free pass. You know, we just yeah. turn our back because some of the <clears throat> nations that you write about in Burma, Urethra, uh-huh. uh, Demi- uh Democratic People's Republic of Korea, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan. I mean, why don't you just throw the doors open and say, here are all of our secrets, and we no longer have any domestic security or sovereignty. We're just part of the world.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, you, you mentioned one of the countries on the list is Pakistan. Uh, and the Pakistani intelligence service is notorious for being able to insert people in, um, in critically important programs in the U.S. and other countries in the West. Um, and that that can very easily become a conduit for information that is of value to terrorists, like al-Qaeda. Um, and... Here we are. We still have this problem. You would think all these years after 9-11, this kind of thing would no longer be a problem, but there it is.
0: Yeah, and we've got thousands of Chinese and Russian foreign nationals working in the Department of Energy. So it's not just yep. the laws. It's throughout the rest of our government. Anywhere yep. there's vital information.
3: And they, 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 they know why they're there. They're doing it on purpose, and it's not for our best interest.
0: No, I don't think there's very much that our government's doing that is in our best interest, because now they're trying to pass and fast-track this new bill for the U.S. semiconductor factories. Oh, Wait a minute. It's supposed to be for U.S. making chips, but somehow or other it ends up benefiting China and India, doesn't it?
3: Well, I you know this this particular bill is is our Senator Haggerty from Tennessee um, pushed this. Basically, what it does is it um, fast tracks the regulatory approval for construction of a new semiconductor uh, factory here. The reason that's important is because one of the reasons why it's so costly in America to build. Any kind of a factory, much less a semiconductor factory, is the regulatory approval process. You have to jump through the hoops, and it can take seven to ten years under the present um, situation. And, you know, why jump through all those hoops when China is saying, hey, come on over here to China, and you can build your factory for virtually nothing. You do have to share all your technology with us, but, you know, we've got cheap labor, and we've got cheap land, And you can really make a lot of money here. So the idea behind this bill from Senator Haggerty is great. Let's reduce the cost of building a a semiconductor factory here in the states and make that an incentive to do it here in the states rather than taking those jobs and that technology overseas, especially take it overseas to China.
0: But what's the unintended consequence?
3: Well, one of the consequences is um you have still other incentives in place. Uh and, and the whole culture, if you will, uh in the corporate business community in America that, you know, China's biggest market in the world. We we gotta make we gotta be there now. We gotta make the money now or we're gonna lose out. So this is one point, one one issue among a number of issues that um needs you know the people in America need to think about very carefully do we want our jobs here in the US or do we want to ship them overseas to china that's a big issue
0: yeah yeah i mean cheap products coming out of china but then again lord knows what china's putting into those products that is not beneficial for the us as a country us as the government and us as individuals How much of our medication is coming out of China? And Lord knows what is being put into that medication. Um, Not just the semiconductors, the clothing. Um, You go go into Wally and dare you to find yourself a made-in-America product. That's all made in China, Vietnam, not made in the United States. But uh, we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. I know you only have a few moments left with us, uh, so I want to ask you about Governor Ron DeSantis. Oh, God bless him. He is a gift that just keeps on giving. Um, He was offered to go on The View, and boy, did Uh he give it back to them, both barrels. What's the (laughs) word out there that you're hearing?
3: Well, I'll tell you, I've I've covered DeSantis when he was a member of the House of Representatives, and it was very clear very early on he is – he is an unusual talent. He is very straightforward, he's very firm and he knows how to deal with um, people who are <laughs> double talking, talking like government bureaucrats, et etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And what he did yesterday in relieving that uh, prosecutor in Tampa Tampa County, I guess it is, uh, a George Soros prosecutor who wouldn't prosecute crime. Um, that's that's the kind of decisive action that DeSantis is um, is known for, and it's the kind of leadership that I think an awful lot of people in this country, Democrats and Republicans, um, they want to see more of that. You know, make a decision, do something, and do it on an issue like crime that we're all concerned about.
0: Yes. Well, Mark, people can he, find he's you. going to be around. Yeah. yeah, he's young. He's young. Uh, people can at the Epic Times—they go the e p o c h You always got great articles out there, and we will see you back here again in two weeks. Enjoy your weekend you it, and a little time off for me.
3: <laughs> yep, good. And take care, Curtis. Take care.
6: All right, All right. Take,
3: take care, care. Mark. Bye bye. All right, Thanks.
0: check out Mark Tapscott's. Articles over at the Epic Times. Love having him on every other week. Now welcoming back to our show and our final half hour, the last victim of the day. We want to welcome back from the Heritage Foundation, E. J. Antoni. And I got all these nice Italians today. My my grandmother's just up in heaven, just bouncing up and down. I <laughs> know you got good guys here today. <laughs> good afternoon, EJ. How are you?
5: Good afternoon, I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing fine. I mean, this world we have today is getting crazier and crazier and crazier, and hopefully you can help us make a little sense of this. Um, You wrote a recent article about the return of stagflation. Um, We hear inflation, we hear a possible recession, but what is stagflation so people can understand where we are and what's happening today?
5: Sure. Well, it was a term that was first coined back in the 1970s to describe uh, this odd combination of both stagnant economic growth uh, as well as high inflation. In other words, exactly what we're seeing today. And unfortunately, uh, all of these all of these problems are essentially self inflicted wounds. These are the results of of bad government policies. Uh, both at the Federal Reserve as well as, you know, Congress and and the White House.
0: You know, um, I actually opened up my first business in the 70s. And I remember Jimmy Carter, and I never thought I would see McConaughey as bad as what Jimmy Carter produced. And yet we're seeing it far worse, aren't
5: we? No, that's exactly right. And,
0: I mean, it's really
5: amazing how out of touch uh, the White House seems to be, the entire administration really, when they talk about how wonderful the economy is and they seemingly just fail to acknowledge uh, the, the American people's financial sufferings right now. And they really don't seem to appreciate just how much this inflation is impacting the the average person here in America.
0: You know, I've got a... County Council meeting I'm going to be descending upon along with members of my tea party yes we still exist in 2009 and yes we end up organizing ourselves out of all the things that these clowns want to do is to increase the sales tax now we've got we've got record high inflation numbers uh, the unemployment rate is continuing to climb uh, we're heading towards a recession. Prices are increasing. Even though gas prices may be starting to drop a little bit, it's not going to be for long unless we start producing it real soon here at home, and they will have an increase of a 1% sales tax. Do you see a problem for that at all? Oh certainly i mean the the last thing
5: you want to do right now is raise taxes. You should be cutting taxes, cutting spending, and cutting regulation. You know the difference between the Great Depression and the very short recession in nineteen eighty nineteen eighty one the the key difference there was the fact that you had Ronald Reagan, who again cut taxes, cut spending, cut regulation as as best he could, versus the anti supply side policies, if you will that were imposed under the Hoover and then the Roosevelt administration in, in the late 1920s and, well, really the, the 1930s. Um, so the the difference between a, a short recession and a prolonged and severe downturn really has to do with, with the government response. But I, I do wanna uh, make one quick correction. You, you brought up the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate actually hasn't been going up. It's been going down, but not for the right reason. It's not just because more people are getting jobs, but it's because people are leaving the labor force. Yep. In the jobs yeah. report that just came out today, we actually saw that the labor force participation rate, which helps tell us how many people are working and are looking for work, that actually went down in this last report, not
0: up. You know, the question would be, how many are of marketable age, you know, working age? that are no longer working and living on the government dole. That should be put into the unemployment numbers. It used to be when you went and got your unemployment check, you had to prove that you're actively out there looking for work. Today you don't. You get a little debit card and, hey, you just keep on collecting. It doesn't matter whether you're looking anymore or not. That's why I saying that the numbers are actually, in reality, far higher than they, that they are being reported.
5: No, certainly. And, you know, especially since the Biden administration has removed some of the different work requirements for various welfare programs uh, that that has certainly incentivized people to stay on those programs longer than necessary or to get on those programs when they need not be on them in the first place. And that is not at all helping the labor market shortage that we're also seeing right now, where many businesses can't find workers.
0: No, No, they can't. And you try going into any restaurant, seeing they're all understaffed. You go into a lot of other businesses, service businesses, all understaffed. I'm finding also people are starting to work off the books, under the table, because they don't want the government, you know, to cut off their benefits. So they're double dipping. There's a lot of ways to fudge the numbers if if you st- sit down and actually look at them. Uh, but well, this, another this thing be, that we saw. Sorry, go, okay, ahead. go ahead. No, finish. No, another please. thing that
5: we saw, another thing that we saw in the latest jobs report was that the number of people who are working multiple jobs, that keeps increasing. And one of the things that that does is it helps boost that headline jobs number that we see because that number only surveys businesses and what it does is it allows for double counting. In other words, If you and I, let's say, we have multiple jobs, we work at different businesses, each time those different businesses get surveyed, they say that they have a person working for them, except it's the same person. And that is, I think, artificially boosting some of these numbers.
0: And I'm wondering how much this administration or those behind the administration know that and are using it to game the system, especially going into the midterm elections
5: you know it's it's a great question. Uh, it's probably a little out of my wheelhouse, but you know certainly there is a uh, there are a lot of political implications to all of these reports and, and to all of these numbers. Um, and I know the White House does make a uh, a a con- they put put forth a considerable amount of effort uh, to point out whenever. The numbers are in their favor, but they certainly ignore them when they are not in their favor. You'll recall a couple of months ago, they pointed out that uh, among different minority groups, the unemployment rate had fallen pretty dramatically. But they were completely silent today when the unemployment rate for blacks went up and the amount of the number of blacks employed went down. Somehow, they were completely silent on
0: that point. Mm, That's amazing. The numbers that work this way, and then we don't talk about them if they go that way. But there is – I was watching last night, and I was really finally surprised that the left finally gets that something is not exactly right in Denmark. This new – I I barely can even say this without cracking up – Inflation Reduction Act. When you get left liberal newscasters making fun of it, there's something wrong with the bill, isn't there?
5: no that's exactly right, And you know this is really a prime example of deceptive marketing. In fact, I would go so far to say that if a private institution had marketing so deceptive, they would most likely be hauled into court for violating the law. This bill will do the exact opposite of what its name says. it will exacerbate price increases. It includes taxes on energy, for example. Well, people really underappreciate the fact that energy affects everything we do and everything we buy. And as you increase the price of energy, you end up increasing the price for everything else. So this will only, again, exacerbate price increases. Those uh, essentially higher taxes are going to be borne out mostly by the the middle and working classes. So once again, this is yet another violation of the president's promise not to raise taxes on those making less than $400,000 a year. Well, uh, yeah,
2: you
5: I think raise
0: the price of I'm, I'm sorry, Curtis. You raise the price of energy, which means gasoline, uh, propane, uh, natural gas, uh, electricity, and go on down the line. So, the, all right, your household expenses go up. And the cost to run either your electric or your gas-powered vehicle are going to go up. But when you look at it, the cost to produce the products that you will buy, food and other durable products, will go up. The cost to run your schools, your public buildings, the hospitals, the emergency service will go up. Every single item will go up no matter what, except for walking outside and breathing fresh air
5: you know and, and another thing that that people really I think underappreciate is they people really have this idea in their head that corporations pay taxes corporations don't pay any mm-hmm. taxes okay we we talk about the corporate tax rate but a corporation is not a person. Only people can pay taxes. When a corporation pays taxes, that just means that it gets passed along to actual people. How does that work? Well, if you're a customer, the corporation ends up charging you a higher price. If you're an employee, the customer uh, the uh, corporation ends up giving you a lower wage, and if you're a shareholder, the corporation ends up giving you a lower return on your investment. People can pay taxes. And so another thing that this bill wants to do is to increase the taxes paid by corporations. Well, you're just playing a shell game. Once again, all you're doing is taking more money from the American people. You're just
0: hiding how you're doing it. Well, all corporations do, and having owned numerous businesses, you take the money from your customer, you put a portion of it aside that it goes into either a separate account or whatever. You just allocate a portion aside. And when it's time to remit those taxes, you're taking the money that your customer gave you out of the account and writing the check. So, yes, the business, in effect, does not pay tax. They're just passing on what they collected from you to the government. So, in the end, it's the average day, Joe and Blow, you and me, that pay that additional 15% on every single thing.
5: No, that, that's exactly right. But unfortunately, you know, not a lot of people truly understand how all that works. A lot of people have not been business owners, for example. And when when we hear these talking points out of Washington D.C. about these big, bad, evil corporations, right, and and the greedy people who run them, a lot of people, I think, buy into those talking points. And they're in favor then of of these corporate income tax increases. But then they're wondering, hey, why are the prices for the things I'm buying going up? Why am I getting paid less at my job? Or why is my 401k, if I'm fortunate enough to have one, why is it not doing as well as it used to? And this is exactly why.
0: You need the straw man argument. You need someone to blame so you look good. You put these uh, things into place and, oh, it's not my fault it's their fault. Oh, it's not, it's not Biden's fault. It's Trump's fault. He left us with this and that's what they do. It's the straw man argument.
5: No, but if, if we really want to get into a comparison of, you know, of Trump versus Biden, you know, I, I would love to have that discussion. You know, you look at something <laughs> like how was, how is the average person doing under Trump? Well, look <laughs> at, look at what their, what their income could actually buy. Not only, You know, did their incomes go up a lot under Trump? But inflation stayed very low so that the average worker gained the equivalent of about $4,000 in annual income from when Trump first took office to when he left office. What about with President Biden? It's gone exactly the opposite direction. In fact, in only 18 months, it's gone down by almost as much. It's gone down $3,400. In other words, Biden has managed in 18 months – to wipe out four years almost wipe out four years' worth of gains that the average worker saw under president trump
0: you know before Biden took office, you could buy a loaf of bread for ninety nine cents, and when you go in there, you're looking at three hundred ninety nine four fifty. I had a friend of mine he's on his social security, took him shopping. And he had to put items back on the shelf because he was now counting pennies. Where two years before, he didn't have to do that. And even his rent is going up because the cost to the landlord has gone up. It's the tiniest guy, the, guy, the oldest guy in the rung that is being hit the hardest. And who in this administration is getting that message and, and doing anything about it? No one. No one. But we're going to come up with these programs, Inflation Reduction Act, and get it passed so that you feel good and like we did something, and we can go in November and say we did this, and you should be happy.
6: Gee. Yes, yes. and you know,
0: I'm unfortunately, okay, I was ahead. just going
6: to say that um, I often wonder how poor people are making it in this economy um, when working people are struggling, and. I found out a little little information from some of my my uh, family members that are dependent on the government and from what I'm being told, instead of getting food stamps once a month and um wages, which is nothing but the welfare check, um, they're getting it twice a month now, but quietly. So that's a that's how they're getting along. You don't hear too much coming from that that, that community.
5: Yeah, I mean, if, if you're wondering how is the average American making it today, in you know, in a lot of ways they're not. The amount of gasoline that's being sold has just plummeted. Why? Because people can't afford it anymore. People are people are having to scale back what they're spending money on. We just got uh, uh, some some credit card data today, and we're seeing that you know, essentially the amount uh, that people are having to put on credit cards. is is rising on a percentage basis by double digits. People are dipping into savings. The average person is really taking it on the chin with these higher prices, and they don't have many options in terms of how to deal with it other than just having to cut back. Well, what's the effect of that on the economy? As people buy fewer goods and services, businesses are selling less, and the economy is shrinking, exactly what we've seen over the last six months. And pretty soon, we're going to start having some pretty widespread layoffs because if you're a business and you're not selling as much, then guess what? You don't need as many employees and that just makes it even worse.
0: Well, now we can add now to the Inflation Reduction Act the Build Back Better and that is even scarier because there's a large elderly population taking a lot of medications and I being one of them, gee, I'm, like, I'm already paying a lot. And I had my friend, he had to try to find out how he could pay for some of his medication, which was almost $300 for one prescription. This bill Back Better is not all that much better.
5: No, not at all. And unfortunately, you know, going back to this idea of deceptive marketing, they talk about things like how they will lower prescription drug prices no, they, there's, they are not going to lower prescription drug prices. They're going to do things like create either shortages of drugs or they're gonna, it's going to result in lower quality drugs being brought to market or it will reduce innovation in the drug market, meaning fewer new and life-saving drugs are going to be actually created and are going to be brought to market so that you and I can buy them. So once again, you know, the name says one thing and the reality says exactly the opposite. And unfortunately, very often, people judge things either by the name or by their intention and not the actual result.
0: Well, we already have a big regulation market on new drugs. I mean, first they have to develop them, then they have to test them, then they have to go through the FDA approval. And it's not something that can happen overnight. This takes years. That's a lot of money to invest in a single product. But yet these drug companies do that because of the profit margin that allows them to do it. You way that profit margin, and as you said, what is the incentive to create a new and better drug?
5: Right, and you know what? The oil market actually works very, very similarly. What I mean by that is when you have to build something like a refinery that's going to cost you billions and billions of dollars, And then it's going to be several years before you even break even on that, and that's assuming that oil stays at a certain price point. There are a lot of contingencies involved there. There are a lot of things that you are not going to be sure about, a lot of uncertainties. And so when this administration comes out and promises to literally end your industry within the decade, why on earth would you invest? Why on earth? Why would you increase production? Why on earth would you build a new refinery? Would you increase output? I mean, people don't even want to do regularly scheduled maintenance. They'd rather just start slowly shutting plants down. And what's that doing to supply? It's putting a choke collar around the neck of our domestic energy industries, and the result is lower supply, less energy, and higher prices.
0: Now, wait a minute. Didn't Biden just sell some of our oil reserves
5: to China? Oh, no, that's that's exactly right. And but see that that actually is a very good illustration of the point. Why on earth is all of this money going or excuse me, why on earth is all of this oil going to China? It's because we can't even use it here because the bottleneck is not in crude. The bottleneck is in refining, at least at the moment, which, again, is another reason why dumping all of this crude oil onto the market just doesn't make sense. But. It has to do with the marketing. Once again, just like the, the uh, naming behind this latest bill, it is a way for the administration to try to make it appear as though they are doing something, even if it doesn't actually do anything or perhaps even makes the problem worse. Yeah, you
0: know, This administration has done exactly everything wrong, the exact opposite of what to do to get us out of this inflation. Actually, we're actually... In, in truth, in a recession, aren't we?
5: No, we, we definitely are. We've, we've had two quarters in a row where the economy contracted, right? That's the classic definition for a recession. But honestly, beyond that, I mean, the American people understand what's going on. They have been living through this for the last 18 months. They have seen their paychecks, even though they're getting larger, they can see that their paychecks buy less in terms of goods and services, The American people are the ones having to face the decision, do I buy groceries or gasoline today, right? I mean, you you can't fool people just by changing the definition of words.
0: Oh, no, wait a minute. Don't they do that all the time? Oh, come on. Oh, no, they
5: certainly do, right? They've they've redefined vaccine. They've (laughs) redefined women. They've redefined inflation, and now they're redefining recession. So, no, it's certainly par for the course, but just because it didn't work then – it still doesn't work now.
0: <laughs> well, people can find your fantastic articles over at uh, uh, Heritage Foundation, which is heritage dot org, and uh, I enjoy always having you. You know, the economy is not something sexy to talk about. But when it hits you in your wallet and you go to the grocery store or you, you go to get something, your clothes for your kids for school and you see that price tag and something that may have cost you $20 is now double the price. Then the American person, American people, the public is going to wake up and smell the coffee. And I think they're starting to right now.
5: No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And you know, once again, uh, Sometimes it takes really, really bad times to give us really good times. Ronald Reagan didn't just fall out of the sky. It took a Jimmy Carter to give us a Ronald Reagan, and that might be where we're at right now.
0: I think so. I really think so, but we've got to survive another two years. E.J., is always a pleasure to have you on, and God bless you for the hard work you do there.
5: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it is our pleasure. Check out EJ Anthony Uh, over at heritage.org. That's all we got for now, Curtis. Um, I'm going to see if we can get Harlan uh, back on next week. It seems that we had a problem with his phone number, so I'm going to call AJ and find out what is going on with that and uh, see if we can get him rebooked for next week because his book, The Fifth Horseman and the New Man, Mm -hmm. falls into everything we just discussed today. Everything we discussed is part of his book, and it would have been great to have him on there. It would have wrapped everything wow. up really nicely. But we're glad that the ambassador was able to stay with us for a full hour instead of just a half oh, hour. Yeah. So thank him for that. So that's all we've oh, got yeah. for now, for today. Uh, be careful. If you're on the East Coast, there is a string of thunderstorms uh, coming through here. Two people were killed in the lightning strike that hit four people in Washington, D.C., at the... Uh, White House, yeah, so please be careful out there. And Curtis, we're going to leave everyone with the song from my friend Gary Pecarella, "Save America." So until then, I thank everyone for joining us, and I say good night, and God bless.
6: To all)